You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about The Rocketeer. Yes, the movie that nobody watched when it came out except for four people, and but since then has become a cult classic, and we're going to talk about the movie. We're going to talk about sort of, you know, the whole oeuvre or, you know, like the of, of the movie. Uh, but before we do that, let's meet our cast for this week. So starting off, you know him as the world's foremost Flash fan. He is the guy that taught me how to play role-playing games, and that is my buddy, Sean. How are you doing, Sean? Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, uh, like I was uh, saying right before we started, um, I am under a tornado watch right now. We have this crazy cold front pushing up, and uh, so if I glitch out all of a sudden, um, it's, it's not because I disagree with the Rocketeer comments. It's because Mother Nature has decided to interfere with this podcast. Uh, but other than that, you know, I'm imagining you now as the guy in Empire Strikes Back when they're having like the conference call and you see like the holograms of various right. captains when they're in the asteroid field. And the one guy just like does this and his image fades away and you realize that an asteroid just took out one of the ships. There, there is a possibility that could happen, but uh, it honestly, I, it doesn't seem like it's too bad. And eight o'clock, which is right about the time we're recording this, my time is like the height of it. And it seems to be pretty mellow. So fingers crossed, everything goes well and we're good. That's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's hope it stays mellow. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, anything new and exciting going on? Well, other than tornado nearby, possibly. Uh, the only other thing that I can really talk about right now um, uh, on the air is we are actually starting a new role-playing game with a bunch of friends of ours, an alien RPG that we just picked up. And we're going to start on uh, April the 26th, which if anybody's an alien fan knows that LV426 is the name of the planet that uh, they find the xenomorph on. And um, yeah, my friends are very excited. They're like, oh my God. And when I told them what the first setting is going to be, they all freaked out because I came up with a plot idea that basically puts them in the colony of Hadley's Hope during Aliens. And I'm giving them a chance to get off the planet. And I'm like, but realize you're on Hadley's Hope. The chance of you all dying is really high. (laughs) So (laughs) they're going to be part of the colonists. And I'm like, okay. And they're all freaking out now. They're like... Uh, and I'm like, yeah. And I was like, I want you Are guys you to running know. that like a funnel? Are you running it as a funnel? Not quite as a funnel. So what I've done is, so th- there's a huge expanded universe of different kind of takes on Hadley's Hope. And there's about three plot lines that are considered somewhat canonical, where out of the 150 to 180 people that were on the colony, about 20 of them got away in some various forms. They, they got off on a private uh, yacht or they crash landed on another moon or there's they're a couple of other stories. And so I've kind of taken all of that information. I've made it into a story. So they're going to play characters. And the funny part is, is that I'm going to provide them with about 20 characters. And some of these characters have fates that 
cannot be avoided. And I do apologize for derailing us right at the top of the show. But one thing I love about this role-playing system, even though we're not doing role-playing right now, is that they have this thing called an agenda. So when you pick your character, I then give you an agenda. And for that act of the play, uh, you know, it's structured as a three-act uh, uh, story, you have to try to succeed in that agenda. Maybe it's saving your friend. Maybe it's trying to get the xenomorph, blah, blah. It gives you some kind of direction. And of course, you can help me by telling me what you want to do. So if they pick a character, that character might be go completely crazy. You try to kill everybody around you. And if they role play it well in the next act, they actually get bonus points that allow them to immediately succeed on certain actions. So they're encouraged to actually follow their agendas. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have so much fun with this. Wait, so what's this? Really it's called Alien RPG. It came out oh, about okay. two years ago. Um, they only have like the main box set and then just like one or two expansions. A new one is coming out, I think, in the summer called Heart of Darkness. But um, it's very, very new. I ran across it completely by accident because of Joe and Gary at the American Sci-Fi Classic track. And I was like, okay, let me read this. And I want to do something different than D&D for a while. So I said, how far away from fantasy can I get? And I was like, alien. And it, I was amazed at how many people said, oh, I want to play this. So um, it, yeah, I, I figured out about like nine or 10 quote unquote movies that we can do. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, they're really excited and I'm, I'm pretty psyched. But yeah, other than that, tornadoes, aliens, we're good. All right. Sounds great. It's good to have you back on the show, Sean. Thanks for having me. All right, and next up, she is someone that I met through the um, American Sci-Fi and Fantasy group uh, at DragonCon. Uh, she is my MCU expert now. She also loves time travel and parallel realities, but she's going to talk to us about something different this time, and that is my friend Allie. How are you doing, Allie? I'm good, but am I actually going to talk about something different? Because uh, the Rocketeer does have connections to the MCU through Captain America. <laughs> okay, you're going to make your case. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say it has it has connections to the MCU through Jennifer Connelly, but I mean, that's, you know. Joe Johnston. I Joe mean, Johnston yeah. directed both Rocketeer and Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, okay. It's an oblique connection. Hmm. I don't rather think it is. A, I think it's a really direct one. Yeah. And they're both period specific. So, I mean, they're, they're yes. at the same period. So, yeah. I, I think that the two movies are actually very related. <laughs> Howard Hughes could have been trying to compete with Tony Stark in Hover Technology. He could have been Howard Stark. <laughs> no, no, no. Because remember, uh, um, uh, uh, Howard Hughes and Rocketeer based all his stuff off of alcohol based propulsion. Whereas <laughs> Tony Stark was going with repulsor tax. So, I, I like to imagine that they are two competing technologies. So, um, <laughs> But I'm oh, sure we're we'll saying that that's why you soon. said Tony instead of Howard because it was all about alcohol. Oh God, did I say Tony? Oh you my said bad, I'm Tony. sorry. I'm sorry. Tony Stark, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Stark versus Hughes. You know what? Let, leave that in. That was good. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but uh, what's what's been going on for you since the last time you were on, Allie? Um, I honestly, I God, I can't even remember the last time I was on. I was probably maybe Black Widow. Loki, Loki, Loki for sure. Um, Loki was after Black Widow. Yeah, I've done a lot recently. Uh, I actually just finished teaching an online writing course uh, called Make My Genre Punk, which was all about punk subgenres, mm. uh, including diesel punk and deco punk, which Rocketeer fits. Um, so that's where my mind has been most recently. Uh, and yeah, coming up, uh, I actually will be launching a writing podcast 
uh, sort of at the beginning of June. Uh, it'll be called Story Kernels, and it's uh, my writing partner and I are taking writing prompts and then turning them into a story on air in about an hour. Um, it's been a lot of fun, <laughs> uh, and it's been a challenge, but nowhere near as difficult as I thought it was going to be, actually. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, a lot of them are sci-fi fantasy stories because that's where we live. Um, but yeah, lots of unusual things as well, because the two of us, when we get together, we just immediately start bouncing with very bizarre ideas. Um, yeah, it's fun. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's good to have you back on the show, Allie. Very glad to be here. All right. And finally, finally, it's the master of the marquee himself. <laughs> Mark Finn, how are you doing, Mark? Oh, you know, hanging in there. Yeah, mostly. Trying to trying to stay out of trouble. You know, world traveling, going to Greece, getting engaged at the Temple of Poseidon. Yeah, that happened. Congratulations, that by the way. I don't think I've Thank ever I've said much. it verbally. You you I, I felt it uh like a disturbance in the force, as if millions of Nathans cried out at once and then were suddenly silenced. I get that a lot. Yeah, that happened. So yeah, uh, other than the 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 Greece trip and the engagement, uh uh oh uh I launched a Patreon uh for uh for game stuff and uh the Substack is a going pace. I'm industrious right now. Well, very good. It's yeah. better than having nothing to do. It it beats the alternative. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So uh, just trying to keep myself, you know, out of the pool halls, right? You know, right. off of the street corners, do. singing doo-wop with the hooligans, you know? Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be a doo-wop hooligan, so uh you know what the doo-wop hooligans do not get their due i love that scene in rocky every time they should the doo-wop hooligans show up in the rocky movies i always have a soft spot in my heart you know because i'm just like oh that's like their first date when he's walking adrian home and i'm like man i love those guys like even 30 years later they're still doing it. i'm like mm, i feel it in my soul <laughs> um but i would also like to congratulate mark for making an excellent star wars segue because nathan had the gall to make us record this on the day that Lego Star Wars Skywalker saga came out. And I am missing Lego Star Wars time to record this, USOB. So <laughs> that's the commitment that is happening right now. I'm just letting you know. Well, I'm walking it like I talk it. So, you know, yeah, we'll, uh, I'm keeping it old school over here. Saying. This is a Hildebrandt Star Wars shirt. This is we've been, this we've is been style this game. A. I'm just happy we're recording this. Okay, like I mean, like everything else Seriously. is like immaterial at this point. It's like third reschedule. We're doing this no matter what. Like I'm saying, yeah, no, but it was funny because literally my wife and I we've been waiting for this game to come out. Like when the pandemic started two years ago, we we're like, oh, we need something that's going to take forever to play and do all the collectibles and stuff. And the Skywalker Saga was going to come out like two weeks after the pandemic shutdown started. So now in 2022, they finally released the game. And I'm like, that was the longest wait for a game that was supposed to come out in like three weeks. So anyways, we're here. Let's talk about Rocketeer. <laughs> a nice rhyme. I appreciated that. But yeah, like uh, for those listening, you know what time it is. It's time for our five minute controversy. 
And uh, so it's just a way for us to talk about a topic that's going on in the Geekosphere right now and gives you a little insight into, you know, how, you know, what we think about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so this week I was going to talk about the, uh, you know, the reports that various videos on Disney Plus have been modified. Um, the Netflix uh, shows uh, have been modified. Some of the uh, direct Marvel shows have been modified now disney has come back with some of the edits from falcon and the winter soldier and said oh no that was because we uploaded the wrong version of a video and uh though those weren't meant to be there we'll restore that uh and that was something where they were taking out like some blood and there was a couple other changes i think but basically the it, the thought was they had done this to like sort of tone it down but the thing that's happened since then which doesn't seem to be the same kind of a problem is Disney took out a uh, tribute in Luke Cage to um, Reg E, uh, Reg E Kathy, and mm. they took out a tribute in The Punisher uh, when Stan Lee passed away. And so this is two different shows, two completely different episodes, and they've both been removed. So that seems to be like a choice that Disney is making. So uh, my question, some people have been upset about this, um, you know, is do you think that Disney should modify content uh, that's that's already been out there that people have watched and uh, for, you know, whatever reason, do you think that that's a thing that they should be doing at all and specifically about, you know, removing tributes that, yeah, maybe you know, I mean, Stanley passed away several years ago, you know, like, does does this tribute need to be removed? Or do you just leave that on there? Because at the, that, at the time it was made, that was, you know, a thing that they did. I don't know. Like, I'm of the mind of, if I ever started watching Star Trek for the journey home and I didn't see the tribute to the Challenger, like, very powerful emotional moment in my life, you know, um, because that was shocking to us. And, you know, Star Trek is one of those things that, you know, said, hey, you know, we, we're still going to go for the stars even when we fail. And to take out a tribute to creators, actors, you know, taking out a tribute to Stan Lee, you know, that would be weird. I mean, the tribute to Stan Lee is in all the other stuff. They haven't edited out of uh, any of the movies, I'm assuming, right? The, nobody's seen it removed from uh, what would it have been? I think Infinity War, I think would have been, um, Either that or Captain Marvel, I forget which one. I think one it was Captain Marvel. Yeah, I think Captain Marvel. You know, I would. Why would they take it out of it just because it's on Netflix? So I, I feel like it's not appropriate to take that out. Now, if it was something that had an age well, like say, oh, Song of the South, and they just want to yes. delete it or something from the memory because it's truly offensive, that's one thing. But a tribute, I. I can't understand removing tributes because those are touchstones to similar events and people will remember that and they'll go, oh yeah, this is the time when Stan, and they'll, they'll, they'll get choked up. You know, you want that emotional resonance. You don't want to take that away. At least that's my thought. I think that, uh, you know, if this was 1995 and uh, we were watching Han Solo's head digitally jerk <laughs> to the left an inch for the first time, uh, I'd be righteously indignant but it's 2022 and this is not anybody's first rodeo moreover this what we're dealing we're not talking about a story point or a plot point or, or something like that i'm 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 just gonna save my righteous indignation for um a, a bigger hill to die on i'm not sure i want it to be this one um 
it, I, I hope, I think, I, I personally, it's waste of your digital department's uh, hourly rate to go in and, and, and blip that stuff out. Uh, that said, I think it's super easy to replace. You can put it right back in when the when the uh, when Twitter reaches whatever the uh, whatever the Kelvin melting point you know it needs to to be to uh, short circuit uh, everybody's phone in Burbank. Um, but uh, I just uh, I don't I think this is a, a I think this is a a, a, a a teapot tempest. You know, it's a it's a it's a dust up in search of a Donnybrook. So I, I, not the, not the most shocking thing they've ever done and, and nowhere near, um, what they're capable of. So it's certainly not like they slap somebody in the face. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not even, it's, I wouldn't even call it a venal sin. You know, it's not, I mean, you know, it's certainly not a cardinal sin. Uh, right. Uh, you know, I would almost, I'm almost prepared to give them an indulgence for this just because I don't even know what the motivation is. I like uh, to play Catholic with this all of a sudden, like you yeah. give a <laughs> indulgence with it. Like, well, we're, we get pretty dogmatic about our fandom. So I, I feel like that's okay to, to, you know, employ uh, the. So when the, you pass through the arches of, of Disney Plus, the plenary <laughs> indulgence allows it. The. <laughs> The, the patois of religious uh, tomfoolery uh, fits uh, these kinds of things very well because you are dealing with the devoted and you're dealing with the stupid. Uh, and, and uh, you know, they look a lot alike um, sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, my assumption on the motive is that they feel like it just doesn't apply. Like, you know, these people passed away a while back. So why do they, you know, since they're making edits to remove the Netflix logo anyway, it's like, oh, well, we'll remove this too. You know, if at any point in time they want to start pulling Walt's head out of some of the older movies, mm. you know, then, then we'll know that they're walking it like they talk it. So, uh, but until <laughs> then, I think this, this just feels like a, this feels like some sort of internal struggle type of thing. Uh, and again, if we're not, if they're not taking out blood, if they're not taking out any of the other like racy, saucy Netflix stuff, then I'll, you know, I'll allow it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. because that's the thing they, they did say that that was a mistake when that happened. So I'll, right. I'll take yeah. them on their word on that one. Not Maybe. to mention, you know, like, if like they went to Darby O'Gill and the little people and took out Walt's thanks to the Leprechaun King, Dang. you know, like seriously, like that's the first minute of the movie. Then you're like, okay, they're they're just in edits now. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Honestly, it feels like to me, it feels like they're just peeing on Netflix's territory just to say this is ours. It's always been ours, and you guys overstepped, and we're taking it back. And it, it, it just feels like they're peeing on their territory a little bit to me. It could be. But uh, Ali, yeah. what do you think about all this? I think it's really weird that they would take out, especially a tribute to Stan Lee, because obviously, like, you know, he has funded a huge paycheck for them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like frankly, that. as far as I'm concerned, if they want the Marvel logo to be that Stan Lee version, where it's just shots of Stan Lee everywhere, oh, totally. like they did in Captain Marvel, I'm fine with that. Yes. them doing that in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that removing a tribute seems really weird and i don't know why you would i i actually was thinking about that hey, that's what that's what they cut out 
No, 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 not that. Some I'm saying tribute. like I would, okay. I, I'm, I, I would go a step further than just having a tribute to Stanley. I would put his face on every movie and show that they do from here on that has the Marvel Studios logo. Um, I was thinking about it the other day. I was watching some other show, and there was a title card at the end that said, "In loving memory of some crew member," and I don't know who that crew member is, but that's someone who was important to the crew. Right. It doesn't matter that that person doesn't have a emotional connection to the viewer. They did effort. That crew wants to provide a tribute for them. There's no reason why that should be removed. Um, so that in particular, I think is really offensive. But in general, I want creators to stop going back and retouching their work. Sorry, George Lucas. It's done. <laughs> but, There's no I, such know, thing as a finished film. <laughs> No, there totally is. It's when it's released in the theater. If you want a director's cut, sure, go ahead and do that. But provide all of the versions and stop at two. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my take's kind of close to that, too, because it's like, I, I mean, uh, to Mark's point, yes, this isn't setting the world on fire. I mean, to be fair, it was a slow week, everyone. Like, there wasn't anything <laughs> that was controversial other than Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, and I just don't want to talk about it. But, uh... <laughs> But um, I thought I handled it very deftly. No, I, you I, did. You I, did. You, you I, got I was, it in there without uh, pointing any fingers yeah. at it. But I mean, um, but yeah, but it's not. It's not setting the world on fire. But but to Ali's point, it's like I mean, why 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 remove it? Because it's like yeah. when I still watch. You know, they put out the X Men the animated series on DVD and the tribute to Jack Kirby that aired mm -hmm. at the end of season two before the finale is still there. You know, nobody saw like, well, he died back in 1993. Like, why does this tribute need to be there? Let's take it out. Nobody said that, you know? And so it's like, yeah, I mean, just leave in the tribute because that's when they put it in was when it, you know, it happened, you know? And so that's, I mean, it's part of the thing that was the, the product, the episode that was released, just leave it in. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, but, and also to Ali's point, I, I don't, I occasionally like director's cuts, um, but yeah, like you, I just want both versions available though, because sometimes I think, hey, the director's cut did this better, but I actually like the original version for this aspect also. Um, so, you know, that's also a thing. So yeah, leave both. I, I don't like when options are taken away or things are changed in a way that's like, this is meant to be for all time. Now, apparently somebody's pirated these shows, which is why they're able to do the side-by-side -side comparisons to show, cause you know, they've never, they haven't been available on disc. So it's not like somebody has a hard copy. So somebody's like, you know, Actually, I think Netflix them. did release them on the, I, I think they did do releases. I think they no, did, no, no. Did. They they never got past Luke Cage season one. That was the okay. last one they did as a disc release. Yeah, the la the most recent, uh, like the last uh, Jessica Jones and the last Luke Cage, and I think the last Daredevil, never made it. But all the other ones were. Yeah. No, no, no. None of the Iron Fist seasons. The Defenders was not put out on disc. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, no. It, it was basically Luke Cage season one was the only. So it was the four seasons before that. The two of Daredevil and the one of Jessica Jones is all that's been. Believe me, I have them. And I they checked Amazon. They didn't do a Punisher either. <laughs> they huh. didn't do a Punisher either. There are no oh, disc versions true. of Punisher. Not Maybe not in not in not in region A Blu-ray. Now I, you know in sketchier I'll parts of the world. <laughs> I'm 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 betting this Christmas we're gonna get a Marvel Knigget's 
uh, boxed set with all that stuff. Oh, I doubt it. Disney Disney loves doing this. They don't. They want to control like how people consume their media, and this has been true even of like their animated movies and stuff. They'll release them for like a month or two, and then they'll go away. And in this case, they want everyone to go to Disney Plus. I don't think they're gonna do discs anymore at all. Like Agents of Shield past season three, there are no discs. You know, it's like they 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 never did Agent Carter. Um, you know, like they never did Cloak and Dagger, they never did Runaways. Like this is the thing, like they want you to go to their streaming services to watch those. They want to funnel everyone through that. Disney is not like other studios, which are smart and are like, hey, we make more money this way. Wait they, a second, are you saying that Disney is a great Satan? I am not, you are saying that they are a great <laughs> Satan. I am just saying that they, they care less about raw numbers and more about margin. I am merely pointing and they out are that trying to increase these, their margin by could getting not everyone to, to a streaming nicer service. bunch of robber barons <laughs> and <laughs> heads. That's all I mean to say when I say that. Anyway, uh, all right, but uh, but yeah, I think I think we've talked about this as much as it's warranted. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I. Mark just got me on the hot button. I just posted on Facebook about about how like I was so happy that Paramount is doing the emotion picture director's cut now because for the longest time, like the additional scenes and effects weren't in high definition and Paramount's releasing it on Paramount Plus and on disc. And I was like, see, Paramount gets it. They're not like Disney, <laughs> you know? Like they see that the fans want something and they produce it and they give it to you on disc too, not just the streaming service. So anyway. Yeah, I, it's a bold strategy for Disney. And, and you know, they're, they're, they really are uh, just pulling up the rear in terms of marketing and promotion. I hope they can get it together, Nathan, because they've really got a, they've got a track record of just making pat, bad economic decisions that come back to bite them on the ass. Oh wait, that's everyone but Disney. I think they've got it figured out, buddy. I think I think that they're funneling. No, no, I, I think they're I, I doing mean, exactly yeah, I, what they want to do. No, I purpose. think they're making profits that they want to make, and that's the thing. That's why they're not doing it the way that I. But I'm I'm somebody who really wants hard media, uh, especially since I live in a house where all the walls are wet metal mesh, so wireless doesn't really work well here, um, and so like, streaming is very difficult, and so I I want my discs. So, anyway, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But uh, that's been our five-minute controversy, everyone. And I was glad to see at least a little bit of a curve in, like, people's opinions. Um, so, um, but yeah, now we're going to pause for a promo for another fine podcast. And then we are going to come back to talk about The Rocketeer. If you were a monster kid growing up, if you enjoyed Saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee or staying up all night watching the midnight feature, then Monster Attack is the podcast for you. We not only look at classic old monster movies, we share our experience growing up as a monster kid. Join us every Monday for Monster Attack. Like we talked about at the top of the show, we are talking about The Rocketeer. Uh, now, uh, this is a movie that did not do very well in the movie theater. 
uh, which I was alluding to earlier. Um, but apparently I've assembled the only four people that did watch the movies um, for this podcast. But uh, I just wanted everybody to give a little bit of a like sort of like background um, sort of with the movie, like how you came to it, what you thought about it at the time. Um, but I'll start off uh, because for my story, it was one of those things where I'm the youngest in my family and my two older brothers usually would not take me with them. Uh, to do things that they were doing with other groups of teens and whatnot. Um, but in this case, my parents, I think, made them take me. And they were going uh, as a group to what we called the Dollar Theater, um, which is um, something that we had that was like a movie theater that showed the movies like after the six weeks, like the six weeks, they're in the major theater. And then they go to another theater after the six weeks where they'll show the movie at that time at 92, it was for a dollar. You know, I don't know if that theater is even still there or what the price is now. I'm sure it's more than a dollar. Um, and so uh, I saw The Rocketeer at the Dollar Theater and it was great. Like, like, I mean, I, I mean, I think for me, the draw at the time was Timothy Dalton uh, because I am like one of the few like fans of Dalton's Bond. And <laughs> so I wanted to see Timothy Dalton in, in another movie. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like the whole movie, the whole style of it, everything, I, I was just kind of blown away by it. I was really surprised that it wasn't something that really like took off uh, at the time. And so it's always been a movie that I thought of fondly but it's never one that I've seen has like a large following. You know, I've seen riffs on it in other media. I realize it goes back further than the 92 movie because you got like the commando Cody things and all that sort of stuff from like the fifties, um, the, the, the action serials with the guy at the rocket pack, but you know, like, like in Marvel for a while, there was a character called torpedo and the origin of the torpedo suit was exactly the origin from the rocketeer. I mean, like reading this going like you've ripped this off, like <laughs> entirely from the movie. So, uh, it's kind of interesting to see that kind of stuff going through, but, uh, you know, we hit the 30th anniversary and I wanted to talk about it last year, but I made the mistake of making it a vote of what we were going to talk about that was an anniversary thing. And my golly, people voted on Howard the Duck, which is fine. I was fine with talking about Howard the Duck, but <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Rocketeer. So I was like, we're going to talk about the Rocketeer. I'm going to make sure that we talk about it because I was really hoping that was the one that was going to win the vote. Um, but... <laughs> Anyway, that's sort of my long-winded way of going about it. But let's start with you uh, now, Ali. Uh, let's go to you next. Um, what, you know, how did you come to The Rocketeer and, and what did you think of it at the time? So I definitely saw it in theaters. I would have been 10 in 91. Um, I don't have like a distinct memory of going to see it. Uh, so probably my parents took me, probably with some friends, something along those lines. Uh, but the one of the things that I remember distinctly. So I grew up in Orlando. And if you live in Orlando, Florida, you know someone who works at Disney. And when you are a 10 year old, it's usually your friend's parents, which means that you get signed into Disney every so often. And so one of the things that was on the uh, backstage studio tour at MGM was the, uh, the uh, facade of the diner and so <laughs> I remember seeing it over and over and over and so that's one of those things that like really stuck with me was that that dog facade <laughs> uh because of how many times I would see it and every time I would see it I was like that's from the Rocketeer and I was really excited every time um but yeah I just I I love 
uh, 40s pastiche stuff now. I'm sure it goes right back to the Rocketeer, being that I saw it when I was so young. Um, and so for me, there's a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings uh, related directly to like the look and feel of the movie. Um, and then like just how optimistic and positive it is. It's such a good like family flick. And I think for the most part, it still holds up really well too. All right, Sean. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree on everything there. Um, Ali said it really well. Um, one thing that I think is um, a touchstone for me was my dad would take me to movies from time to time. He loved going to see movies, especially if it had anything to do with comics and superheroes. And this was in you know the 80s and the 90s where the quality of said films were of a much worse return you know we, we talk about living in the golden age of comic book movies and how everybody's sick and tired of them but i remember the days when the Dolph Lundgren punisher movie came out you know or that crappy italian captain america movie came out or god forbid hulk uh the trial of the incredible hulk where you have the black mask daredevil and thor show up and it, oh it was it wasn't great guys like it was it was not a great time Preach, brother, preach. Uh, right. So, I mean, it was it was not a great time. You know, yeah, we had Batman in 89 and that was truly spectacular. Um, but those were few and far between. And my dad was a huge fan of comics. My dad was a huge fan of, you know, going and supporting these movies. And so one day, uh, right around my birthday, because if I remember correctly, I actually pulled up the release date here and it looks like it was released on June 21st. So about a couple of weeks after my birthday, my dad was like, hey, let's go see this movie. And it was just me and him. And we went to this old movie theater in Myrtle Beach. They've torn it down since then. Um, but I remember they would do these giant wall posters on the side of the building. So they, they were like the, you know, the kind of billboard size. And I remember seeing the, 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 the three or four the, uh, posters they had, and right in the middle is the Rocketeer, three stories tall. And it's that classic airbrush, almost Alex Rossian looking work where he's basically, it's the profile shot and he's taken off in the air and just says the Rocketeer. And he looks like he's a hood ornament. And I'm just like, oh my God, he looks amazing. And, and uh, I, I, I was immediately hooked just from this gigantic poster. And so we sit down and we watch it. And I loved every minute of it. And I was just like, this is amazing. You know, like I, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and I remember at the end of it, little kids walking around saying the Rocketeer, you know, and they're running around the airplane and whatnot. And I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be a little kid. I'm going to put on the, the, the cardboard hat and whatnot. And um, I, I just loved this movie. And um, I remember telling my friends about it and everybody was like, the Rocket what? And it was almost like you're in the movie, right? Oh, I'm the Rocketeer, the Rocket who? You know, and there's like that whole gag. And uh, I was just looking up the box offices of what had come out around that time. And just to remind people, one of the big reasons why the Rocketeer did not do all that well isn't necessarily because the Rocketeer was not necessarily wide released or not a good movie. It made almost $50 million. It was the number 10 highest ranked summer movie. But it also came out the year of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It came out the year of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. It came out the year of City Slickers, which you wouldn't think would have been a big deal, but City Slickers was a huge comedy that was pulling money away from it. It came out the year of Point Break. It also came out, and this is hilarious because this actually still counted towards their summer box office. Okay, not only was it Silence of the Lambs still making money during the summer season, freaking Home Alone pulled in $16 million during the summer. That thing was released in December, people. Okay? Yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> 16 million dollars in the summer 
And these were all funnels that took money away from, I think, a movie that more people would have gone and seen. But there was the 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 year of 91 was a lot of movies. And when you look back at these movies, these are movies that people remember fondly. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Rocketeer, unfortunately, just got lost in the wheat of amazing you know, it's just an amazing field, a uh, crop of movies. Um, and it's it's a travesty. It is a it is a Greek travesty as far as I'm concerned, because for me, outside of Terminator 2, Rocketeer is like at the top of that list. I mean, like literally, like, especially when you're talking family films, boom, right at the top. It, it's just... Yeah, so yeah, good. that list. Yeah, I'd put the Rocketeer uh, at the top of that list. Also. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put Terminator 2 at the top of the family list, you know. No. <laughs> right, but, you know, yeah. but no, definitely as far as like for families, though, Rocketeer is at the top of that list. Yeah, so like like in our family, it was like we were, we were usually most years we went to the movies one time a year. Right. And and that year it was City Slickers is the movie that we saw because that was something my parents wanted to see. And right. so it was like we went and saw some, which was a fine movie. It was funny. You it's know, a fun whatever. movie. It's a good it's movie. Good. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, like thankfully that was when like because I was 12 that year. And so it was like I was finally at an age where maybe if somebody else would take me, I could go to the movies, you know, somebody mm-hmm. else. And that's why I was able to see the Rocketeer too. But yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, City Slickers took the 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 full cost money, and I only got to see Rocketeer at the Dollar Theater. Um, hey, at least you got to see it though. I yeah, mean, no, I mean, still, yeah, I got that big though. screen, I mean, yeah, experience with it. Yeah, and there's nothing about that movie like like, and I can't stress this enough. From the beginning credits all the way until that last, you know, Disney marquee at the very end. There is nothing about that movie that does not hit on all points. The cinematography is amazing. The direction yeah, we're, we're going to get acting, into why why we love the, the music. Here, but like it just that movie just crushes. Yeah, yeah, let's not let's not get into the specifics yet. All right, so Mark, going to say like it just rocks. Yes. All right, so Mark, what about you? Well, I'm older than all of you, and uh, so I my, my <laughs> all right. That's enough. Uh, Emotional my, damage. My uh. My interest in the Rocketeer goes back to the 80s when I was reading comics. uh, And this was being put out as a very infrequently released serialized storyline in um, initially uh, for Pacific Comics Presents. And then uh, when Eclipse bought them, uh, they put out a graphic novel for the first part of the of the story and got Harlan Ellison to do the introduction and Hmm. um you know so this is and so this is the thing about that comic book at a time when all the independent books uh were coming out in comic book stores and the direct market was sort of blowing up and this was around the same time period that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had become a thing and uh, there were just a lot, a lot more options, uh, independently speaking. The Rocketeer was this little niche thing, you know, uh, over here, uh, because it was uh, very much a, um, a cult of personality project, okay? Uh, first of all, Dave Stevens is an amazing artist. He, uh, he apprenticed with Doug Wildey, the guy who created Johnny Quest. I, I'm done, but I thought that's all you need to know. But uh, he took all of that stuff that he was into and he figured out a story that he could tell where he could put all of that stuff in it. And prior to the Rocketeer, there wasn't really a project like that that had that kind of here's all the stuff that I think is cool. It's 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 tempting to call it uh, meta. 
I think it's actually really kind of more postmodern mm-hmm. because these things didn't all really exist on top of one another, but he sort of creates a sort of an idyllic 1936 uh, where um, Betty Page is his girlfriend. And if you don't know who Betty Page is, uh, she's just the hot brunette. Uh, the, the blind bulldog uh, or the bulldog cafe, <clears throat> which is an actual uh, landmark in California, <clears throat> it refers to a very specific style of architecture that occupies about a 30 year window uh, called storybook architecture, where all of these uh, shapes and, and whimsical uh, designs sort of trump form and function <clears throat> in the making of <clears throat> in the making of a, of, of a building. Um, the racer that he uses, the, the flyer is, was, a, was, the, was a GB racer. Uh, that's a specific plane that was very big at barnstorming uh, shows and air races. Um, everything in there is, is, is nothing but Easter eggs out of Dave Stevens' head. That, that whole comic project is, is one giant Easter egg hunt before we even knew what an Easter egg hunt was, okay? And so, you know, this is what's, you know, and so we'd be months, in some cases a year or more before between episodes. And, the, and these were eight and 10 part, 10 page stories. We were just, we, we sifted through them like breadcrumbs. Uh, so of course, you know, the we had to figure out who everybody was. Okay. Alan Moore would later do this in league of extraordinary gentlemen uh, when he started layering in all of these Victorian personalities, but Dave Stevens was really the first guy to do this. And so you had to kind of, you had, and you had to be into that stuff. I was. So you had to, to look at, at the guy in the flight suit with the, the big uh, uh, burly fellow and the dapper looking gentleman and go, is that Monk and Ham from Doc Savage? Is that Doc Savage? Oh my God, Doc Savage made the rocket pack. Holy crap, guys. And so it, it, the whole thing just exists. Uh, we, me and my friends, we were all into this stuff, okay? I've mentioned before that Raiders of the Lost Ark was was my Rosetta Stone. And so uh, anything from that time period uh, was was fascinating to me. And the Rocketeer fit right into that because it was um, it was like a smart grenade. And and I chased every fragment to figure out what each thing was. So when the when they announced that they were doing a movie, my first thought was because uh, I had all of the experience that Sean had and more. Um, I have, I've been, I've spent my, uh, most of my childhood and most of my adult years being profoundly disappointed whenever they try to bring a superhero uh, comic book property to uh, any kind of screen, big or small. And so my first thought was, oh God, please do not let them screw this up. Oh God, I beg of you. This is so easy in terms of a movie, all you got to do is shoot it. You don't have to. You don't have to come up with anything weird. He's got a leather jacket. We, we know that he, that people can make things fly because Superman did that. This isn't hard. There's Nazis in it for crying out loud. So we can punch them. Anyways, um, so I was 22 years old when that movie hit. Uh, I actually did something I never do, which is go to Pizza Hut and get the coupon 
that uh, you could send in to get a, a teaser poster. They 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 sent teaser posters out in the mail. Uh, that beautiful uh, Art Deco uh, uh, picture that they used uh, in the in the regular. Um, for the regular poster, uh, it, it didn't have any wording on it. it. Was just that image. Then I sent that. That hung over my bed for years and and nearly torpedoed my sex life. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. So so this movie, I feel this movie in my DNA, um, and I I can tell you I I love it now, probably more than I ever did. At the time, I was really pissed that they replaced Howard Hughes uh, for Doc Savage. Although I later understood why. And the other changes that they made, I thought I was, I was really upset with. And, and now I get why they had to do it. It was all legal. It was all copyright uh, based uh, decision-making, but in doing so, they kind of make it, a, a, it, it, it it's its own rocketeer thing now. And um uh, I was just really pleased at how much they got right. My, my biggest complaint was I wanted 10 more minutes of the Rocketeer in the air mm, uh, yeah. in the movie. That's that was my biggest complaint is you got this guy who can fly with a rocket pack on. Uh, I want I want to see that. And, and, and literally, you could just do a sizzle reel of just him flying. <laughs> I would I would watch that like this in the theater. You know, I would. Uh, so um so yeah, that that movie affected me deeply. It affected all of us deeply. And and even though we had problems with it, um, we came out of it going, you know, it, it, this is one of the few times when we weren't embarrassed to be comic book fans. Mm. You know, we could we could come out of this and and kind of feel like, okay, somebody somebody got it, somebody figured it out. You know, uh, changes notwithstanding, uh, the, the it was never a joke. You know, they, yeah. they, they played it straight and, and uh, the, the, the fix was still in on some of that. You know, the last time they tried this kind of a thing, I'm not talking about Raiders because Raiders sort of was its own deal. Uh, but the last time they tried to do a pulp story was Doc Savage and they shot it exactly like the Batman TV show because it was the same producer and the same script writer. So uh, and 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 it's still torpedo Doc Savage. We will never get a Doc Savage because every time they go Doc Savage, Doc Savage. Let me just tickety tickety tickety. Oh yeah, here's a movie from 1975. Oh my God, we can't do this. We right. no, it's, it wouldn't be anything like that. No no no. I've look. This is awful. I'm not going to do. This. So that movie has queered the deal for for any Doc Savage reboot. So they got the Rocketeer more right than probably any other comic book property. Uh, with the exception of maybe Batman and Superman at the time, because they managed to get those right, you know, almost by happy accident, all the other things really hadn't done that. And then, right. and then a couple of years later, when we got the Phantom, the Phantom at least looked like the Phantom as well. And so uh, we, there was this brief shining moment in the 1990s where we thought maybe they're going to do more stuff like this. And then they didn't. Then Yeah. Then we had the, early yeah, we, we had the pulpissants, we, we get the, the, <laughs> The, the pulpissants <laughs> yeah. of Rocketeer, Shadow, and the Phantom. And you're like, okay, they're just going to take all the pulp properties and they're going to, because I mean, the Shadow kind of suffers the same fate, right? Like, I mean, they're, yeah. the people who know about it, they love it. You know, like, oh man, they got that pretty much dead on. You know, and even the Phantom. I, I like, need to talk know, about the Shadow when we hit the anniversary. But anyway. Right, seriously, right? You know, and, but, but like, then it just. I, I, I love that gone. movie to a degree that's probably not 
right? But anyway, that's not that healthy. Yeah. Um, But no, but I think another thing that was interesting about the Rocketeer is there there is something, and I just experienced this actually without rewatching Lovecraft Country, um, which is a book that I adore, but I had not yet watched the show yet because I didn't want to see what they got wrong. And (laughs) they were able to adapt that book and change so much stuff, but they got the essence of it right. And there was an art form of getting the essence of a creation right and completely changing all the details, but still absolutely nailing what it is. And The Rocketeer, the movie, absolutely did that. And Mm -hmm. and I think one of the things that Mark said, I think is probably one of the most important things is that the iconography attached to The Rocketeer, it is so rare to see a character that you see them and you immediately know who they are. And, you know, you see that Superman S, you see that Batman, you see that profile shot of the Rocketeer's helmet with the fin on the back and he's in the leather, you know, aviator jacket. And he's got kind of like the uh, the riding mm-hmm. uh, uh, pants and the boots. And you're just like, you're there. Like you, you immediately know that's the Rocketeer. Um, that is a very difficult thing to do. And I don't think enough credit is given towards the iconic, the, just the iconic look of that character. It's so not the di- fact it's that not Disney- as difficult now. It was it was yeah. difficult back then. Back right. then there was a real arrogance uh, to. We could uh, do it better, right? Yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, it's a it's a great idea, but it's a comic book. Okay, right. you know, it's comic book. Well, let, let us let us make the movie, pal. You make the comics, we'll make the movie. Yeah, and, we, and we didn't have Kevin Feige's back then. They were basically like, this <laughs> no. is the source of material that we're going to use and, you know, holds right. up the comics, mm-hmm. you know, like this is why, why okay. do heavy Thank God we got Joe Johnson. Don't have to. Huh? The story's already there. You just change the things you need to to make it work. Yeah. But I got to uh, say, I like I like Howard Hughes better in it now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Howard Hughes is awesome. Yeah. At the, at the time. In you know, in the early '80s, I we didn't have a lot of pulp stuff that we could draw from. So, the, so have it, watching somebody name check Doc Savage and go, he th- you know, because what that basically says is this guy thinks this stuff is as cool as I do, right? It was very it was very validating uh, for us because this was still this was still the kind of that got you pushed into lockers, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. I, and we got to, I, I had the additional advantage of getting to meet Dave Stevens. He was a, almost a regular at the Dallas fantasy fairs in the uh, late eighties. Uh, can I tell you a story uh, about why the uh, last issue was so late? Uh, all right. Uh, tell us the story, but then we really got to talk, focus on the movie. Uh, well, <laughs> the Rocketeer. This is Stevens was a perfectionist mm-hmm. and his artwork r- reflects that, you know, I mean, he, he spent, he agonized over everything. And um, they they basically gave him 800 pound gorilla status. Dave, just when it's done, you send it in. We'll publish it. Just to, to just just send it in, please, Dave, please. And so it it, it was it was nine months overdue. And um, Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez were visiting him uh, in California, and they were uh, geeking out over stuff in the studio, and. Um, he said, is that the, Gilbert said, is that the last uh, issue of the Rocketeer? And he says, oh yeah, uh, but it's not finished yet. He goes, what's, what's not finished? And he, and he points at, there's a drawing of, of Butch the Bulldog uh, with a note stuck in his collar. Uh, it tells that Cliff is going to New York to go get Betty. And uh, uh, it, the, he had most of the, the Bulldog drawn except for one leg. And he said, what's wrong? He says, I can't get the leg right. 
I can't, I, I, I have to draw it, I have to erase it. I can't get it right. I've just about worn a hole in the paper. And, and Gilbert says, I'll draw the leg. And Dave said, would you? <laughs> and so he literally, he drew the leg, uh, you know, and Dave inked it. And that was it. And he's thanked in the, in the graphic novel. Uh, he, gets a, he gets a credit because if it hadn't been for uh, Jaime Hernandez, we wouldn't have known that Cliff went to New York. That would probably still be sitting unpublished on, um, on his drawing table. So he was, a, he was very much a perfectionist. And um, I like the fact that he was involved in the production. They gave him uh, a lot of um, deference. And, and, he, and he shared his designs with them and they came back with him and he, he got executive uh, producer credit. So uh, they, they, they redesigned the, the backpack and he went, he went, yeah, that's great. Do that, you know? And so it was probably another reason why it's the way it is, is this was really, I think the first time that they had access to the creator who got what they were trying to do and was, uh, interested in in having this you know come about and so um you know he 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 got to basically supervise the the creation this was really nice well yeah and that's good and because that's yeah i mean the creator will then help to like make sure that the vision of the character and like sean was saying the essence is maintained um right. but uh but yeah let's talk about like aspects of the movie uh, that we really enjoyed. So Sean, pick one aspect of the movie, something you think is really good that we can all talk about, and then we'll just kind of go on uh, talking about different aspects of the movie. One thing that I really liked about The Rocketeer is the fact that we had such a really nice, especially during this time, it was either all focused on one hero or one villain. You might have a third character that was somewhat interesting, but that's about it. In The Rocketeer, you have Cliff, you've got, you, you, you've got, of course, the Howard Hughes character, but, but the one I want to focus on for a second is you've got Jenny. And Jenny is amazing in this movie. Now, now granted, I'm a bit of a generally, uh, Jennifer Connelly, you know, uh, fanboy. I admit this since Labyrinth, I don't care, you know, but she is amazing in this. And what I love about her is the fact that, yes, she absolutely is trying to be a starlet. She's trying to be somebody who wants to become part of Hollywood. But then as soon as she becomes the damsel in distress, she becomes the self-rescuing princess. She's like, I don't need help. Like, okay, yes, okay, I'm on a blimp, I'm gonna die, but I still kick the crap out of people. So if I'm gonna go down, I'm going down awesome. You know, but she's able to self-rescue way more than women did, especially during this era. At that point, she would have been a prop. She would have been a Vicky Vale, for lack of a better term. Um, and uh, you know what? I love that she's not, you know? And again, this is in a bevy of characters that are just iconic. I mean, everybody in this is just, you know, Pee Wee, I mean, everybody is awesome and they're all crushing it. And here's just Jennifer Connelly, you know, sitting here next to Billy Campbell, probably at the height of his powers. And also let, let's be fair, especially for those of you who are attracted to this man, the height of his hotness. I mean, this is peak Bill Campbell, just what? And then here's peak Jennifer Connelly. The babies those two would have made, right? Like, oh my God, you know, like I'm serious. And she's, she blows him out of the water. Every single scene that she's with him, like he, he's, he's fighting to bring the type of essence that she's just destroying with. And I love that about her. So Jenny, the floor is yours, everybody. Yeah. I like the fact that she knows when he's trying lines out on her. 
too because he's like like doing like various lines from movies to be like oh, timothy you know, dalton yeah, yeah like yes. he's doing like the the seducing you know kind of stuff and she's just like i know which that's movie that, that you know movie. she's like quoting all of them that's you know? when you said it to so and so yeah right. but i, also I related like the fact to that her the most right then yeah, but, but you know what i also liked about that is that it kind of still worked on her a little bit but she knew he was bs at her but then she was like wait a minute yeah but i like that line but wait a minute like you know like she she you know which i think is but fair. she's smart i, I mean she's she's smart yeah. she's not like easily swayed you know like th- that's you know that that's what i think i appreciate about her is is because of that and I think one of the things I really like about that is the fact that, you know, you hear all these stories about, especially during like the roaring 20s into the 30s and even into the 40s, you know, with the icons like Rosie the Riveter, women really got a sense of empowerment during this era. You know, they were they did not necessarily become the 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 the, the Holly homemakers of the 50s yet. They 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 were there, you know, up in arms with their men, you know, helping the fight, helping to, you know, keep the things going at home. Women went through a massive transformation during those couple of decades that then, you know, uh, down the line in the late 60s and the 70s would, of course, become, you know, uh, the women lib movement, as they called it. But, you know, feminism, basically. And I love the fact that you could see Jenny is absolutely, you know, just her own woman. Um, and there are a lot of movies that you can watch that, you know, go back to this time. And, and one of the... <laughs> One of the great lines I love, and this is not Rocketeer related, but it's tangential, um, is from a movie called Oscar. And Marissa Tomei is basically blessing out her father, who's played by Sylvester Stallone. And he's mad that she has a sex life. And he's she's just like, I'm a modern 30s woman. You have to get over it. And I'm just like, I, I love like that there's this, this, this bubbling essence of the early 20th century that was like women were just kind of cutting loose and like they were being their own person. And I like that they made Jenny this and they didn't make her the damsel. I, I, I love that she's not a damsel. It, it, it really makes me happy. But oh. at the same time, they found a way to get her into that really nice white dress. And I appreciate that <laughs> on a completely different level, too. And well, I think you can be both things. Thing. I think it's like usually I yes. see like, you know, you see Labyrinth and she's a kid. And then you see a lot of recent movies and it's like, you know, she's, she's not, you know, like she's, she's more, you know, portrayed as uh, being mature, older woman. And so it's like, I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, Jennifer Connelly, you're hot, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, they yeah. had to, uh, they had to change that character because uh, Dave Stevens had a very uh, different, much smaller audience when he was doing the comic book. And there was no way they were going to be able to fly uh, Betty Page, who, by the way, right. was was uh, was in basically had had dropped out of the public eye. Uh, Dave Stevens is largely credited with bringing interest in Betty Page back, uh, thanks to the Rocketeer. If it wasn't for him, they would there wouldn't have been a resurgence in Betty Page fandom, which would have led to her actually coming out. And I believe she actually got some money. Uh, from from some things as a result of that so that was uh, uh yeah i've heard stories that he actually went out of his way and got like legal help for her to get like some kind yeah. of autonomy back from some some residuals and things yeah but the um they had to do they had they had to give jenny had to be sexy uh because uh it, it wouldn't have that just nobody would have accepted it uh otherwise but i like the fact that they they kept the girl next door aspect of her Mm -hmm. and jennifer conley at that period of time was was the girl next door uh and so i uh uh yeah i but i yeah i've been in love with her since forever so 
you know, that, that was really kind of the bone. Like she wasn't the reason why I showed up, but she was absolutely the reason why I stayed through the end of the credits, you know? <laughs> so. Gotcha. All right, Allie, what do you think about uh, Jenny and Jennifer Connelly? So I am the only one here who is female appearance. Um, so for me, Jenny was really important. There were not a lot of female characters who were allowed to say themselves, particularly in the genre of movies that I like to watch. And seeing her save herself meant a great deal to me uh, because she was always capable. Uh, yes, she benefited from the fact that Cliff would come in and help her continue to rescue herself, but she had pretty much gotten herself out of everything before he got there. And she saved him a few times too. Mm -hmm. She is the one who goes back in, uh, hits the goon, and that's why she gets caught, but she went in to save him. So for me, like just having her um, as a respected member of this group uh, meant quite a bit. Right. And, uh, and let's also be fair, uh, uh, Ali, that she's also the reason why if they ever did a sequel, we would have gotten one because she also was wise enough to pick up the plants. She had forethought, yes. too. I'm telling <laughs> yes, you, Jenny, did. man. <laughs> no, she's she is one of like the highlights of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and and she proves herself capable, like just time and time again. It's 100 percent great. Uh, what you guys were talking about, her recognizing the lines and stuff, that's one of those things where you know you're being seduced. And so there is a level between, okay, I kind of like the seduction, but but this is also uncomfortable. And mm. so it's it's that thread of trying to figure out, do I want this to continue or is there something else going on that I need to get away from? And you can see her making that decision throughout that scene. It's that where she kind of leans in and then leans away and it's very subtle but it's really it's very there uh which is another thing that i really appreciate um mm -hmm. but her relationship with cliff is i think another thing that is very important to the whole thing because this is in part you know cliff doesn't become a hero and this is where I'm going to get into Captain America. So <laughs> we see Steve Rogers, for example, uh, he becomes a hero physically. Cliff does not become a hero physically. He gets a device that lets him be more like Iron Man. And, but that's the only thing, that's the only way that he changes. He doesn't like his, what he can do doesn't really change. He's still a pilot. At the end of it, he is still a pilot. But what changes in him is that he is now able to emotionally commit to his girlfriend and to admit that he loves her. So their relationship is what the entire movie is about. It is about him finally admitting that he is in love with her. And that makes it so beautiful <laughs> because it's 100% a superhero story but it's got a romance at the center of it, but the romance is not like, like fabricated in any way. They were already dating when it began. They have a long history together. Like it is 100% part of the tapestry of the whole movie, of the whole story of his journey. And that's one of the things that I most enjoy about it because so often 
you do the, well, it's a superhero movie, so there has to be a love interest. But the love interest is someone who they just met. They have no context for, there is no connection between them uh, except for what happens in the heat of the moment. And you get the speed thing where it's, we are two people who have fallen in love because of the circumstances. Whereas this is, we are two people who have a real relationship. And that's one of the things that I most enjoy about the whole film and about Jenny's role in it. She is not a damsel in distress. She is not a love interest. She is a partner for Cliff. And, and PV knows it too, right? When he, oh, when he specifically says, I'm telling you, Clifford, you're going to mess up and lose that girl. And she's the best thing that ever happened to you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, it's a wonderful little sort of throwaway line that only Alan Arkin can deliver because he's brilliant. And I will have no, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I will entertain no uh, dissenting thought on that. But um, he, uh, yeah, he, he cuts to the, to the core of it for anybody that hasn't been paying attention. And then of course, you know, uh you know uh, when he's got to go get her you know he, i love her peeve you know that's mm-hmm. the that's the moment that he becomes the hero you know when he but, yep. but because the what he's doing uh is selfless mm-hmm. when he initially when they when they get the rocket pack it's to make some dough it's to uh, it's to get out of debt re- rebuild the plane get over to the to the nationals and and now it's about all he wants to do is is save Jenny. That's the only yeah. thing that matters. And so yeah, it is. It's got a good. It's got a good heart. It's a great story. And uh, um, yeah, I just I, I, I like Jenny in it too. Uh, I, I I think it was a wonderful uh, substitution. Uh, Marco, the photographer in the in the in the comic, uh, it certainly is a, is a kind of a foil, uh, but. Uh, it, it would have been all wrong for this much better yeah, much better yeah. use nazis yeah and i mean honestly yeah the, the 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 whole thing of the comic is that basically marco is trying to take betty page and he's he's trying to get betty away from cliff and and cliff kind of goes on adventures and he's really jealous and and the, the relationship is there but it, it's it's not and, and i i agree with ali on this what they did in the rocketeer that was so brilliant is since we made the iron man comparison it's all about him understanding that he loves her that is his story that's the story of Mm -hmm. the rocketeer iron man is about i can make an arc reactor and i believe that i should be better in the world and i am changing as a human and yeah okay pepper's over here and i like pepper but yeah whatever you know whereas literally the rocketeer is about i found this i want to make money i want to have a family this is my girl i don't want to lose my girl oh my god my girl got captured by nazis i gotta go save my girl i love my girl let me go get my girl and on the other side jenny's like i love cliff but he's kind of a jerk but i still love cliff and i'm trying to do my job and he docked over a whole damn set but i still love cliff i might have to take some time apart oh my god timothy dalton um, or i forget his character <laughs> neville name, sinclair you know. neville sinclair how did i forget neville sinclair which by the way is like one of the best villain names ever <laughs> it's such a good right? name i know oh, great name <laughs> the it's british actor name. you know oh my god well and you know he's supposed to be errol flynn right yeah, uh, right yeah. right who you uh, know but you, you go through the whole thing and it really is about those two characters and everything else is in service of that story and that is not batman that is not superman that is not captain america you know that that is it, i mean get granted peggy and 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 steve's relationship with captain america definitely is a little bit more on par to that but 
honestly, the Rocketeer is kind of a unique monster when you really think about it. And I'm, I'm glad Ali brought that up because I was all about Jenny's the best. And then she's like the relationship to it. I'm like, damn, she's right. That actually, yeah. Like that's a- really Yeah, I mean, you guys have me like analyzing like MCU relationships now because I'm thinking about, you know, Doctor Strange now also, where right? it's like also a pre-existing relationship but went completely yes. differently where he has to realize that he loves her, but because he loves her, she can't be a part of this world that he's stepped into. And that's part of the realization of, of his character in that movie, which is kind of interesting. So like all sorts of dynamics around, you know, this, um, you know, uh, kind of similar, but different kind of thing right. but another similar <laughs> but different for you uh, uh, nathan is into the spider-verse where miles realizes that he loves his dad and at the end yes. spider-man yeah. hugs his dad boom okay. rocketeer. rocketeer got there first every rocketeer. single marvel universe project is uh gen x people coming to uh grips with their latchkey kid status <laughs> i'll die bit. on that hill <laughs> Mark, Mark's done a thesis on this. You can go read the blog posts if you want to. It was like a four-part, um, I, I would say symposium, but he didn't actually speak it publicly. Whatever you call it was that. Head talk. It was like a... <laughs> it kind of was, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, but, but no, yeah, but so, yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, the Cliff and, Cliff and Jenny, whew, man. Yeah, so so Ali, um, what's, what's an aspect of the movie that you would like to talk about? I feel like we can't talk about this movie without talking about the soundtrack. You took uh, mine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that soundtrack. But this James Horner soundtrack is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I rewatched the movie in preparation for this and it, it has been stuck in my head, like just randomly appearing because it's so good. Um, yeah, those opening notes, just even at the very beginning, just immediately capture the mood of what's going on here it's you know it's just such a wholesome story and the soundtrack mimics that exactly you know there's a hero's anthem um you know and it just it perfectly aligns with everything I, just the soundtrack is so so great um yeah i am a huge fan of james horner in general um mm -hmm. i i think arguably i think i like him better than john williams which i know is sacrilege i love john williams also but i think i might like james horner more um but um but but this so, but a lot of james horner soundtracks sound kind of similar you know like if you listen to wrath of khan crawl um <laughs> you know <laughs> you know yeah, but you can't compare several different ones, Khan, like okay. wizards of the lost kingdom like he's, but wait wait he's but, but like wrath of khan is wrath of khan but then you bring in crawl that was a paycheck soundtrack okay come on <laughs> let's let's be fair james horner had a boat payment to make yeah that's what that boat was. Payment. they said hey you want to do the soundtrack and, 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 you know, it's like, for instance, like, i watched amazing spider-man without knowing that James Horner was the composer. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, that's a James Horner score. And then I, you know, waited for the credits and, and I was right. So that's the thing. It's like, he has a certain style, right? The Rocketeer mm -hmm. does not sound like other James Horner scores. Like, like it's it sounds very unique compared to, and believe me, I own a lot of James Horner soundtracks. So I can, <laughs> I can tell you this definitively, like, you know it doesn't sound like willow it doesn't sound like wrath of khan you know it doesn't sound like any of these other ones that he's done. i mean yes there's a lot of horns he loves his horns 
Uh, yeah, Horner the loves his horns, but I but, feel like you can tell as a James Horner. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but there's, it's a very unique sound for for his for his soundtracks, and, and like you mm-hmm. say, like it's very fitting. You got the you know you got like the sort of hero you know aspect of it, but you know there's sort of like that sort of haunting you know like the you know, and it's just like nostalgia wisps like sort of 100 sounds like nostalgia (laughs) it is what nostalgia sounds like right (laughs) and and so yeah i i I love that soundtrack i i i have it because i still have an old cd case that has cds in it and and it's in there with with the other movie soundtracks in my cd case so um yeah no i totally agree yeah anyone else want to talk about the score everything you just said perfect okay (laughs) <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, the, the soundtrack to The Rocketeer is the reason why you stay literally until you see that 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 weird blue Disney swoop yeah. at the end. Very, right? very, very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you stay for the whole thing. You don't leave The Rocketeer until like it basically rolls that this movie is rated, you know, PG for you know general audiences, blah, blah. Ah, parental guidance suggested whatever you know mm. I, I i i adore the soundtrack on this there's nothing but but sweet delicious octaves up and down okay all right mark it's not uh it's not my standout uh feature for me i i certainly like it it's it's great uh i think it's absolutely appropriate for the movie that it's in but uh it, it's not uh it's not a, it's not a feature for me Okay. Right, and, and Mark, what makes me a monster? I will. I was going to say it's the it's the age difference. It's just age. <laughs> yeah. Senility has kicked in, and uh, we're, we're sorry, but that's the end of Mark's segment of the show. I'm, Bye, Mark. We'll we'll see you I'm on gonna, the next one. I'm going to go wander off and take a pill. <laughs> sorry, it's not baroque enough for you, Mark. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's absolutely just fine. I, I, you know, I, I wish they had gone with their original. Uh, intention which was tibetan throat singing and uh uh somehow or another that that got nixed at uh, disney which te- which tells you it's all it's all political it's yes. all political okay you know all right mark what's what's one aspect of the movie that you would like to talk about it's one of the one of the niggling little complaints that i have about the film uh, but it's also the best thing about it. Oh my God. When the Rocketeer first appears mm. in public at the air show to save Malcolm, who's uh, out of control in the plane, that whole sequence from how do I look like a hood ornament to I like it. That whole scene, like everything I just did for you guys mm. is sublime and it's it's the best action piece in in the scene in the in the movie uh none of the other action sequences with the rocketeer compared to that initial outing where he's in control out of control in control out of control where he gets so excited that he's doing it he waves and you know falls (laughs) uh you know a couple hundred feet before he remembers to turn the thing back on and start flying again we got to see all of it and I love that that sequence. Uh, everything from uh, the, I mean, some of that stuff is straight out of the comic, 
with him with him on the wing and and coming up through the the uh airplane and um the you know and, and even uh the the addition of uh of delfino it's all part of the show and you could just see the dollar <laughs> signs rolling back in his eyes as he as he calculates the, the how much fuel just went up in in flames hmm. um the chase out to the uh uh to the field with uh with everybody trying to like get a piece of the rocketeer and, and get his picture uh was just uh it was just marvelous and I, I what what bothers me about the movie is is the movie is kind of a housetop in that respect in terms of the action sequences mm. uh emotionally you know the the arc continues or that way uh but but uh in terms of like the the action sequence sort of peaks there and then they do bits and bobs you know for the rest of the film but um we don't ever get another big set piece like that with him flying we get big set pieces we get the zeppelin we get lothar we get other things but we don't he doesn't fly like he did <laughs> and so uh, uh i love that uh, sequence for me that's the sequence that makes my heart uh feel light and that's that was the part in the in the movie where i was sitting forward in the chair and i had my hands gripping the the arms and i and i couldn't figure out why my chest hurt and it's because i was holding my breath <laughs> that was the part where i went oh they they did it <laughs> they did the rocketeer so that that first sequence where the rocketeer appears is um i'll put that in the, in any sizzle reel for any superhero movie uh right up to and including uh infinity war okay i actually agree entirely that the best action sequence is that one and that they fall off after that and um and one of the things if you if you are analyzing it it's because most of them take place inside Mm -hmm. um because you've got the whole sequence in the south seas club so he can't really fly in there uh, you know he's somewhat limited they do use the rocket several times but it's almost always where he's on something like he's on that ice sculpture and slides the ice sculpture with the rocket and you know so there's that's not flying right right <laughs> that's what we came for yeah and so and then you've got he does have to fly up to the Zeppelin, but then they're on the Zeppelin and his feet are on ground most of that fight. Right. So it's a little bit disappointing in that regard. And I was actually, I was, I was paying really close to like what the green screen work looks like. How does, how well does it hold up? Like that was one of the things that I was paying attention to as I watched this last time. And actually most of it I think is fine. Um, I, I didn't really have a lot of complaints and there were times when they did what I think was some of the smart choices to make the shorthand of he lands in silhouette. So you see the shadow land. So then you don't have to uh, worry about the green screen of the flying man. You just see the, the shadow, which you can animate much easier. <laughs> uh, so there and the shadow like knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious that, that uh, they, they had a limited budget. And, yes. and Joe Johnson knew th that that sequence was was critical and 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 that's where all the money went I mean it's not yeah. it's not a bad thing it was just a it was a creative decision that he had to make and I think he was really creative 
with how they did other parts of the movie as a result, right? A uh, lot mm -hmm. of lot of exits and intros into the scenes, right? With Cliff flying in and then flying back out again. But um, we we had to have that sequence, and it, it because that is so integral to the comic book, and mm -hmm. it's the thing that everybody um, needed uh, if they were if if we're gonna buy this character. So uh, and the yeah. the other shot that we absolutely had to have was him taking off in front of the American flag. Oh, with that's the Mauser, other, yeah. Yes. That's the yeah. other one that you absolutely have to have. And so if you're going to use your flying budget on those two sequences, you've right. made a really good choice. You gotta you know, put him in the American um, flag, give him the Mauser, make him do the pose, and then take off. Exactly. Uh, Joe Johnston is really great at doing very efficient storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, he's really good at capturing the right shot that gets all of the information that you need and all of his action sequences are also really specific in that way mm. and so i think that's why that first that first one is so good and then the other ones are very efficient and like i think that's the best way to describe the other fight scenes in it that don't have a lot of actual flying in them they're very efficient they still use the rocket they use it efficiently with practical effects and and that's what they did and i don't think it's bad but if it was made now we would want a lot more flying things well yeah i mean that's the thing that i keep coming back to it sounds like a lot of complaining to me for something that it's like we didn't have anything like this film television whatever we didn't have anything like this at the time and yeah, now we have the Mandalorian where we see people like using their rocket packs to do like a <laughs> like a like a roundhouse kick and crap. So like they're using them all the time, you know, like, but that's the thing, budget, technology, all that stuff, it's different now, you know, like they can do more with less money and whatever. And so it's like, so now we expect more, but you know, like that was, you know, I mean, they could have shifted it around in the movie, but we probably weren't going to see a lot of rocket sequences. You know, it's just when you Rick, know, Rick Baker designed the Lothar makeup. Uh, Walt Disney uh, ink and paint department did the the German Ubermensch flying man animated sequence. Mm. Uh, these things are not cheap, buddy. <laughs> I, you know, the money got spent. The money got spent <laughs> on other I think stuff. we also need to go back to a, a really important key issue. Origin stories are always boring. And I say this because of the fact that the origin story, once you see it the first time, you know the beats, right? Iron Man. Okay, he's got to get the shrapnel in the chest. Okay, he's got to get the armor. Okay, now he's going to fight the bad guy for the first time. Okay, I am Iron Man. Okay, what's Batman's origin story? Okay, I'm Batman. You know, okay, what's Superman? Okay, I'm going to show up in Lois Lane and blah, blah, blah. The Rocketeer's origin story is one of those that I can watch over and over again because it's not about the rocket. Mm -hmm. And again, we've talked about this. It's about Cliff and it's about Jenny. And that's what makes the movie work over and over and over again. And it's in service of that. So while the action sequence is absolutely amazing and you have to make something that is just going to knock your socks off if it's going to be called The Rocketeer, it also shows the fact that that is not the point of this movie. Whereas Iron Man is about this is how Tony Stark becomes Iron Man. The Rocketeer is about this is how Cliff Secord realizes that he's in love with Jenny. You know, And that is a big difference in your narrative arc. Also, the rocket is a crap superpower. 
Okay. <laughs> There's only so unless you have Nazis with rocket packs flying after you, you're not going to have a gigantic air sequence where Cliff is turning around and shooting in midair and stuff like that. He's going to be on the ground a lot of the time. He's going to be punching people in the face. He's going to have to find ways of using the rocket creatively. He literally used it to drive a car, throw ice mm-hmm. at people. You know, I, I love it when he's in the when he's in the club and he's going over everybody's table, just catching everything on fire. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry. Like feels correct to me you know and, and i love the fact that at the end of the movie when you're when you're done with the whole thing the rocket doesn't save them because it was never about the rocket that's the secret sauce of that movie is it's not really about the rocket there's also an aspect of the greatest american hero in this movie where oh, he has no idea like yeah. how to work this thing and he's gonna right. kind of like learn how to so yeah a lot of the time he's just kind of like failing with it and we're watching that him fail scene? with it, right? Yes. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, oh. like even with the big plane one that we're talking about, he screws up right. several times before he's able to actually help, you know? And so it's like, that's the thing. Like, like this isn't a hero that, you know, it's about a, a like a power that he like comes into that he's able to use right away. Or even like he designed the technology, like Iron Man, he designed the technology himself. So he knows how it works. You know, like this is like, yeah. uh, rocket like you know i go fast like oh there's a lot more to rocketry than just like slapping a thing <laughs> on your back and going go right, which pb of course gets on him about right he's right. like he's like you yeah. idiot if you turn your head left you're going to turn left okay he's like <laughs> he's like pay attention use your eyes you know he's like there's a reason why i gave you windows you big jerk you know but i mean but but if that movie was made today the third act would have been timothy dalton would have had a manufacturing plant ready to make the rocket he'd have had yes, his own rocket exactly and they would have had Right, and they would have had a giant mid-air fight. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. you know? And I don't think it would have been as good of a movie. I, I, Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I don't I, think it would have been as good. I'm sorry. You could still have you could still have all the Ginny uh, Cliff stuff. In fact, you can give you know, I put Ginny in a rocket. I don't care. Okay, no, I want the Neville Sinclair right Cliff Secord uh, rocket fight. Now right. I well, want Lothar, Jenny, Neville Sinclair, and Cliff all in rockets. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, so I, I should have done this at the beginning because, you know, people are people now and people want to put spoiler warnings on 30 year old movies. But, spoiler warning in case you have, you've gotten this far, because I'm going to tell you the end of the movie. Um, so, stop it now. I, yeah. There is a genius to the ending of that movie where it's the stupid hole in the rocket but this is real this is what happens like it's a stupid thing like that that causes the failure and all he has to do is take the gun i mean i love the fact it was just some gum that they wadded up in there no no they introduced that gum at the very beginning of the movie that's chekhov's gum no no but that's what i'm saying i love the fact that it's just gum is what they've been using this whole time to patch it up but I'm saying, like, all he's gonna do is take that gum off, and so it's leaking the fuel. And so when he takes off, the rocket ignites the fuel, and he blows up. That is brilliant. Which you, you know, you wouldn't have had that if he had his own rocket. You know, like right. that's the thing. Like that, I love that ending. And yeah, we didn't get the big action rocket fight or whatever, but I love that ending because it is like it's the thing he overlooks. It's the thing that he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, care about, and that's his downfall. And so it's like I, 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 I like that ending. I like that as the thing. The that takes care of him I, I, was, I was i was a little sad that you know i because in my because i knew that was errol flynn right that mm-hmm. i i tracked errol flynn to that character right away because i'd read errol flynn's biography about him you know uh you know being a drug runner uh and and 
collaborating and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, as, as, as he's falling to his death on fire uh, in the about to blow up, I, I thought, ah, oh, man, they're never going to make charge of the light brigade. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, but uh, small price to pay really for the smiting of one's enemies. Oh, yes. So I've been thinking what I'm going to bring up now because music was the thing that I was going to bring up, but I think I can encapsulate several different things with this one. Oh. I love the fact that it's sort of a historical setting and that the Nazis are the bad guys. And that might seem like really trite, like, okay, well, Nazis, like they're sort of like our shorthand for villainy, right? But it allows them to do several very interesting things with the story. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the, one of the scenes that I think is just brilliant is like, so, you know, the Nazis have been using, you know, criminals, you know, the mob, you know, to do their, their dirty work. And um, there's the scene I knew where it's where like, where like, he's like, hey, we're, you know, it's money. What do you care? You know, like Neville, right. Neville Sinclair is saying like, you know, like we're going to pay you anyway. And he's just like, yeah, but I'm still an American. <laughs> you know, there's not going to have any of it. I love that. I thought that was such a great yeah. point because it's like. I may be a crook, but I'm 100% American. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Literally, so, Nathan like, has been talking about this for 25 years. Okay. Like <laughs> since I've known him and we found our mutual love of the Rocketeer. The, the conversation between Neville and the Bobsters comes up at least once a year, all right? Like, he's like... <laughs> all right, that's a bit of exaggeration. When the, when the mobsters turn on the Nazis, like, he gets, like, the biggest American just, like... <laughs> Like well, it's not so much that I, I'm used to like, like again, a lot of superhero movies up to that point, it was like all the bad guys are a monolithic like entity. Right. It's yeah. like we are yeah. the bad guys and we all work together as the bad guys. And I like that they brought out the nuance that it's like Nazis were not a good thing necessarily for, you know, you know, the mob who, you know, would not be of, you know, Aryan descent most likely. And, you know, like a Nazi controlled world's probably not a good thing, you know? And so like, you know, that's the fact that it's like, yeah, I think he's able to see past the point, like he's going to pay him. It's like, we don't want to, you know, I don't want to support the Nazis, you know, like uh, doing a takeover uh, kind of thing. If it's, you're not bad, you're evil. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. um, we already brought up the animated sequence, which is just like, Mwah, like you know, the oh, yeah. war propaganda film like aspect of it, and you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, that just looks beautiful. Um, it's all honestly the scariest thing in the movie. Like yeah. when I when I saw yeah. that as a kid, like it, it gave me chills because I mean, you know, again, Nazis a shorthand for villainy and evil and absolute hatred, you know, and, and to see that and just you know the American flag and the you know, the bald eagle that becomes the iron eagle with the Nazi. It just, ugh, it creeped me out as a kid, man. It, it is a legitimately terrifying propaganda film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, like, like we talked about, the rocket pack has limited uses, but when you're talking about like inner city warfare and stuff like that, like the rocket pack is actually like a really great tactical weapon to be able to get people into buildings, up high into buildings mm -hmm. and to do things and get around really quickly. Like that would be like a really horrific like thing. And so like that sort of brings that home to you uh, with that video. In that, and of course, at the right before the, the cartoon, uh, they show the 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 doomed Nazi volunteer uh, 
trying out his own rocket yeah. right. that's yeah. dave stevens in a cameo oh. <laughs> nice. that's that's the, that's the stanley moment right there oh my god plus i i love that nazi rocket pack that looks like it's from like the 50s sci-fi movie like it just you know that thing's yeah. gonna blow up as soon as it's you see very, like oh, yeah very king of the rocket man yeah i love it yeah, like that dude is toast man <laughs> just boom i love the zeppelin which yep. again, mm-hmm. like what were the Nazis all about in the 1930s? You know, like, hey, we've got these Zeppelins and they're the way of the future. Everybody's going to be flying on these things, you know, like, and again, like when that shows up, you know, I mean, yeah, let's, let's squint against the fact that, you know, nobody sees it coming or anything like that, but they had, they had announced earlier that there was a Zeppelin making like yeah. the journey. Yeah. So like they, we knew it was, uh, you know, like, like they mentioned that it exists. So that wasn't, you know, uh, uh, it's a so like this, the script and what's included in the movie is just so perfect because there's nothing that shows up at the end that wasn't mentioned at the beginning. Mm. And it's just like, from a storytelling perspective, it is exactly what you want. You want an ending that is a surprise, but inevitable, where you know that this is the only way that the story could have ended, but it's a little surprising to know that Cliff pulls the gum off and that's how we take care of it. That it's it's surprising when the Zeppelin shows up because you've you've kind of forgotten about it but when it shows up you're like oh that's right they talked about it in the newsreel mm. you know so it's all of those things where it's a little check bit of a surprise zeppelin. yeah <laughs> but <laughs> yes check off zeppelin but yeah because um, you're thinking like the movie's yeah. winding down at this point like the mobs turned on neville like you right. know like there's the fbi is there like what's gonna happen then the zeppelin oh, shows up and the nazis come out and it's like oh okay now we've not got only, the action sequence not only does the zeppelin show up but they get saved by howard hughes in an auto gyro for mm-hmm. crying out loud seriously yes. the gyro the the 1930s were kind of a golden age for uh experiment aircraft in this country uh that's in and that's why the gb uh, racer and they're talking about the nationals that was a big big thing in the late 20s and early 30s um these uh the, these different kinds of aircrafts and dave stevens put one in the he put the dragonfly uh, experimental aircraft in the comic book which they didn't do but he of course had a smaller spruce goose and it was, but it was nice that they that they kept as much of the aviation stuff in there as possible. That was another thing that I really responded to. My dad uh, was a huge uh, uh, aviation enthusiast and mm-hmm. instilled in me a love of uh, early twentieth century flying machines and warbirds and and all that kind of stuff and so when when the auto gyro showed up i basically was like i forgive you for everything else you know that was (laughs) i felt like i was being uh romanced at that point you know it was nice there's also a sort of genius to making historical figure howard hughes the genius inventor billionaire the guy behind the rocket pack because who else would it be like, unless you're going to invent a new character or use an existing fictional character, like in like in uh, the comic. But I mean, like, if you're going to take a historical character and have this thing made, yeah. like, who would it yeah. be? Like, Howard Hughes. Like, why not? He was the real Tony Stark. You know, he was yeah. the yeah. real, like, you know, that he, that that's the guy. Well, so. he was the real Howard Stark, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. Right. yeah, like yeah. 100%. Uh, Terry O'Quinn is giving like serious Howard Stark vibes. Yeah, he <laughs> is. Know? Like watching it now, I was like, 
oh wow right but we're only saying howard (laughs) stark because of the fact that now we're living in the 2020s and tony stark and they gave gave howard stark the howard Hughes. right but in in the 60s when when tony stark was invented tony stark was supposed to be like howard hughes it's just so much time has passed now that we can't be howard hughes so they invented his father as like the howard hughes type character and tony's just the son but yeah are you upset Uh, about that no, I'm not upset about that. I'm just right, saying that you. that's that's the distinction that I that right. I was making. Right, there. but no, I I do love Terry O'Quinn again. Another phenomenal actor shows up, yes. rolls in. I, I love the fact that he's talking to the FBI. And he's like, "This is a critical piece of technology. We cannot let like, get out there. You have to be 100 percent sure this is the rocket." And he was like, "I'm so glad we got this vacuum cleaner out of here." <laughs> you know, and, and and like he like Terry thanks O'Quinn, to the diligence of the United States uh, <laughs> uh, law enforcement. Law enforcement this vacuum cleaner will no longer. Uh, pose a threat to uh, American security. Yeah. Just, uh, oh God, he's so great. And then, of course, you get to the point where you know, like Hughes understands why Cliff needs the rocket, but he's like, you can't. Like, the, it's Nazis, dude. We can't. It's it's one person versus Nazis. He's like, you know, this math doesn't work out. And, and when he takes that mock up of the spruce goose and he uses it as a hand glider, I <laughs> love that scene where he just looks at it and goes, "The son of a bitch will fly." which of course is essentially like almost an exact line that would happen when he actually proved that the Spruce Goose, one of the largest freaking airplanes ever to be made at that time, actually flew. And people are like, there's no way you're ever going to get this thing in the air. And he did it. That was an Easter egg for me. Yeah, it was <laughs> yes. it was really cool. But it also justifies why he shows up at the end because Phoebe's like, we're not going to let Cliff die on a freaking Zeppelin, right? Like, we're going to be there just in case they need help. Like, it's the one deus machina of the whole movie. But you buy it because... PB and Howard Hughes have become best friends and like I know, one, I know, I know. One afternoon and like a bottle of scotch, and they're like, we're bros now. And <laughs> and and schematics. schematics let's be fair you know Uh, there's an engineering side to this movie that i wanted to talk about but i picked nazis so that's where i have to go with it yeah (laughs) let's talk about the mechanical engineering (laughs) well no because i got to talk about timothy dalton um (laughs) so 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 there's an axiom that that i've discovered and that axiom is that every movie is better with timothy dalton in it and (laughs) while this movie is already good the addition of timothy dalton is what really propels it into x i'm not making this up timothy go see it flash gordon awful movie but timothy dalton is in it and like it just makes that movie great space Um, robin hood that's all he is space robin hood (laughs) but anyway um so so yeah i mean Actually, like, nathan we need to put an asterisk on this so i'm sorry we have to put an asterisk on this timothy dalton rule this rule applies to every movie except the james bond movies no <laughs> no don't, don't you dare don't you oh, dare! oh i did it i said it I he's a fantastic it. bond uh, we're not gonna have this conversation he, anyway a, he is a we're not going down that rabbit hole right now but everything else 100 agree he is closer to the book bond than any of the other bonds up to that yeah. point. He, he, they suffered from uh, he, he he didn't have any good Cold War uh, villains to fight. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, his bond was was closest to Ian Fleming's bond. I, 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 he, I agree he's completely him. ignorable for me as, as far as bond. But as far as everything else, again, 100 percent correct. Okay. Anyway, anyway, hot fuzz, amazing movie because Timothy Dalton is it. Anyway, all right. So uh, (laughs) you're not wrong at all, and I'm not saying Rocketeer would not be a great movie without Timothy. But he just makes it even better. Like when he takes a bad movie, he can make good. Like a good movie, he can make great. So um, 
but yeah like the idea of like there's this like uh british actor who is so smarmy but is very good about hiding it and everything like he he does villainy in a way that's just so so good like there's this like restrained anger that he has that he can they, like he can deliver normal lines with like this way that it's like it's it's like innocuous to people hearing it, but you almost hear like behind him there's like this almost like anger inside of him that well, yeah, is just he smolders great. he's got a smolder that's his signature yeah. go-to he smolders i mean he smoldered in flash gordon he smoldered in hot fuzz he's a smoldering guy you know <laughs> That's all he does. It's smolder here and smolder there. And it's, uh, I mean, Neville Sinclair is entirely a smolder. He's almost yeah. a sizzle. He smolders so much. Uh, by the way, you guys can't see this, but Allie's over here just laughing at us all going like, oh, Timothy Dalton. Oh my God, Timothy Dalton. And she's just blushing so hard. I'm myself. Like, just... Okay. I'm just saying he's great. He is great. He is fantastic. I love that. I man. am like, wh why am I the one on this podcast the least interested in Timothy Dalton? <laughs> She's like, he's all right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, out of all the Daltons, he's the most Timothy, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's great. I mean, like, like everything about him, anytime that he's a villain, he gets to play a villain. He does such a fantastic job. And when you learn that it's like a whole Nazi thing and he's, you know, like, like a, like a sleeper agent for the Nazis, like it all starts like coming together. Like, you know, it's like, what is he doing? Like, why, why does he want to rock? He's just an actor. Like. You know, is this going to be some stupid plot about how he wants it for a movie or something? Like, what is this? You know, and then it's like, ah, uh, he's working with Nazis. And then the sort of villainy and the anger and everything. Oh, my God, I made Ali walk away. But the sort of villainy <laughs> and, anger and everything, like, it all makes sense. And, like, the level is appropriate for, like, you know, the threat of it, you know. And so, like, yeah, I... I no, but I mean, seriously, like, the, the way... And, and when we're talking about the smolder, I think probably one of the coolest things out of all of his performance in the rocketeer that perfectly encapsulates what this character is is the sword fight in the movie that they're filming oh, and he knows yeah. that his, his partner is upstaging him he knows that his partner is given a better performance and in his rage he actually stabs the guy mm. and the guy sees it immediately and he calls him on it and timothy's like just rest, just rest. i'm going to send you to my personal doctor and uh, i'm like that man is dead. yeah and then you know <laughs> like yeah you're not going to hear from him again <laughs> that dude is dead right you know but it's so well played because he makes it look like an accident oh my uh, god i'm so sorry i never meant for this to happen you know just rest and and it's absolutely it's because he's just anger and, and I, I i love that he's he he is he is evil incarnate and boiled rage just under the surface. Except in and the he, seduction scene. That's the one scene where he turns that down so that it can be seductive. And you get why this is a guy that's probably very successful with the ladies. Let's back up 30 seconds. Um, I've seen this movie 15, maybe 20 times. That, I've never taken that read on that scene. Really? Ever. No. Uh the the frustration comes from the fact that the the uh the producer's niece can't get the line right and uh he, she keeps blowing the take and then when she finally gets the line right uh cliff knocks the wall over and uh spoils everything and that's where his rage comes from and 
I never got the impression that he was killing Basil Rathbone, although Errol Flynn would have wanted to kill Basil Rathbone. Absolutely. I just never saw that in the film. I, I, I'm going to, I'll rewatch it, but yeah. Cause I, my take is the same as Sean's. I thought he used huh. that as an opportunity. Yeah. Wow. To yeah. take right. down competition, to make your, and then you know, they, oh, it was an them, accident, to, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was an accident. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was startled I'll, by I'll, what was happening. You know? I'll absolutely rewatch it, but uh, I, I never, I never saw that it, uh, way in here, Allie. Are, did, did you, did, was that your read or, or are you with uh, chuckleheads here? I thought he accidentally stabbed him because of the set falling and down. We're de- and we're deadlocked. We're deadlocked. But, but he definitely, because he was accused of, because the, the other actor says, you He's, stabbed me because you thought I was upstaging yeah, you. Yeah, he said, well, he said, did you, did you think I was, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, but it was, it was, a, it was gallows humor. It was a joke. You know, I don't think right, he was right. serious about it. Yeah. I took it as, and I still do, I took it as this was to show his demeanor as if he feels you're in the way at all, he will find a way as subtly as possible to take you out of the equation. Okay. Well, and, if, and if not, then he sends in Lothar and he bends you in half. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because I think he was mad about Cliff knocking over the set, but I also yeah. think he had the presence of mind to use that as the opportunity to do the thing he wanted to do, you right. know, anyway. Uh, so that's, okay. that's how I took it. But. There, I'm a look. There's a moment before he volunteers his doctor where he's upset about being the presumption that he would have injured his fellow actor on purpose. And so to me, I read it as he was upset that someone would think that he would would think that he was an evil person when he's done so much work to hide that. Mm. <laughs> um, but that's how I how I read that. Uh, but then he kind of gets on the oh, my God, these people might think that I'm a villain if I don't offer the services of my personal doctor. And so then he goes like way overboard on well, yes, I will take care of everything kind of thing. Um, but I thought it was like backpedaling. It's the way he delivers that line, though, does not sound like I'm going to be helpful. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'll send you to my personal doctor. You know, it sounds yeah. like you're you're going to be gone. <laughs> I don't think he wants to be helpful. I think he feels forced into being I helpful. I was upstaging you, and he was like, just wait. You know, like, they, like, I, like there's like a, like a hallway of like, you know, like competitors, like heads, like he's mounted somewhere. Yeah. I'm I'm telling you, like the the the... The, the caverns of Neville Sinclair's house has just like a, a row of bodies. <laughs> I will, I will, I will absolutely rewatch it again. And I will rewatch it with that, with that interpretation in mind. And I will, I will look for it because um, yeah, I mean, we're not supposed to know he's a villain yet, you know, in the, and I, in- I don't think it plays like that the first time. I think on reviewings, it's supposed to be one of those things where you're like, um, but see, narratively, okay. I don't understand the point of it if it isn't to show that he's taking out his competition. It's like to hint that he's got a sinister side to him. Because if it's just an accident, it's like, why even include that? Like, that's well, a detail that didn't need to be there. No, no, not at all. He he has to be so angry. Uh, he has to be mad enough to fire Jenny without even knowing who she is. I mean, and the set falling over would have taken care of that. Right, that's what I'm there. saying. Like, the set could have fallen yeah. over. He could have said, like, get rid of her, and that would have been fun. Like, so I don't understand the point of that if it wasn't to show that he had the sinister side to him. So I, I don't know. I, I just... 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'll watch it again. I'm I I I remain unconvinced, but I can certainly be convinced. So mm. I will. I don't know. Well, you also said that you know that this soundtrack was just okay. So. <laughs> Again, you're already on the sus train. I'm so. on. I'm on so thin ice. I get no, that. Seriously, right? You know, yeah. like I don't know. Uh, all right, but but especially Ali, I want you to talk about the historical element and, and the Nazis and everything, because I know that this is like a thing that you've done, you know, a whole it's, class it. about. So <laughs> I, I. So, so there's a, Diesel Punk is primarily about like the suburban rural experience is one of the the main settings decopunk tends to be more of the urban setting and rocketeer does this beautiful thing where it traverses both of those uh it's one of the diesel punk and decopunk are frequently used interchangeably and movies like the rocketeer are why <laughs> um but so there's a lot of the story that is about the rocket about building the rocket about, you know, it gets the bullet hole, it leaks, like all of those things are very diesel punk. Diesel punk is all about the machinery, the uh, guts of the machinery, fixing the machines. You know, every time there's a schematic on screen, that's all diesel punk kind of stuff. So it's got a lot of those like themes. Uh, diesel punk also tends to deal a lot with um, the propaganda, nationalism, uh, those aspects of the world wars, the, um, and then just all of the, the stuff that happens around that, the the fallout at home, then deco punk is obviously all art deco all over the place, and we see that. Oh my God, Neville Sinclair's apartment is just art deco explosion, <laughs> and of course we see it in the design of the helmet, um, in the posters that we see, you know, for the, the architecture of photos, LA, Griffin Observatory, all of the architecture yeah. of LA. Yeah. Um, the South Seas Club, like all of those things, that's all Art Deco. And so you see it everywhere. But Art Deco also has sort of like where it's exposing the CD underbelly. So Neville Sinclair is absolutely a Art Deco villain where you've got the person who looks the part who is actually hiding something and he is actually the villain. And so you've got those elements going in it as well um, with that, that deco punk villain. Um, so it's a really interesting merging of these two uh, genres that are frequently used interchangeably anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but it's really, it's a, a good example for, for both. Uh, so when I was writing my course, I wound up using the Rocketeer several times and kind of going, now I swear I'm talking about these with like a thin line between them, except the Rocketeer can totally be bound. <laughs> oh, help me with something. Because mm -hmm. I, um, I, I see all of that too. I think, uh, I think you're onto something. Why? I, I, all, my impression of using the, you know, hyphen punk appellation at the end was always in my mind uh iconoclastic right it was mm -hmm. it was uh transformative it was um it was uh irreverent uh you know cyberpunk was uh was about you know taking those institutions down um and and steampunk uh was about uh has 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 has, has the punk appellation moved uh literarily speaking 
I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. Um, I personally believe you have to have something punk to say for it to be punk. Okay. It's got to hit three things. It's got to hit the time period aesthetic. Um, it's got to hit some kind of technology aspect of it. And then it's got to hit some sort of social movement that it's trying to rebel against. Right. Um, so for me personally, I want that punk element to be there. Does it always appear in all of the things that get labeled steampunk, cyberpunk, deco punk? No, it doesn't. Um, because we get very wrapped up in the trappings of things. Right. So if it's got the the physical aesthetics of it, yeah. frequently people will be like, that's what that is. And so it's easy to, it's much easier to find examples of something that looks like the thing than it is to actually find examples that would like fit firmly in the genre, at least by my personal definition. But genres are totally there entirely for organizing the books on your bookshelf or for finding another book or movie like something else that you enjoyed. And they're not very useful in other ways. <laughs> Yes, and the best way I always like to describe this is when I actually like to describe the real punk movement, and people always go like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you have X, Y, and Z, and I always go, and of course, you have to have, like, one of the most punk bands of all time, Blondie, and people go, Blondie, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Blondie punk as hell. I was like, first off, Blondie did tons of punk at the beginning, and right when punk was taking off, they did a disco album just because everybody was leaning <laughs> into the punk phase, and this is in the 80s, and I'm like, we're going to do a disco album just to mess with you, and then they still did more punk stuff. That is the most punk thing you can do. And that is, for me, that that is like when the establishment says, this is what we're going to do, we're going to go counterculture, then you go counter to that counterculture, you are more punk than everybody else. Blondie is a perfect example of how you can sometimes not look like it, but you're actually so punk, you, you have come back around and redefined what punk is. And I will <laughs> challenge people on that one. Go back to listen to early Blondie, then listen to stuff like Heart of Glass and come back around. Debbie Harry will punch you right in whatever sensitive organs you have, and you will apologize for besmirching the name of Blondie. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm with Ali on this one, so there you go. Um. I, I, just, I was just curious. Um, so would you consider the, the thing being subverted in the Rocketeer is the glitz and glamour and artifice of Hollywood? Is this one of the things that we're talking about here? It definitely depends upon how you wanted to classify it if you're okay. classifying it more as a diesel punk story then yes i think entirely that's part of it um because diesel punk is kind of pro grease on your fingers and hollywood is definitely the opposite of that or at least right. what we are presented in the south seas club particularly is the opposite of that right um you know jenny wants to clean up she wants cliff to clean up to be able to go there she wants to be part of that that whole high society world. Oh, we uh -huh. talked about going there, but Cliff Heck never wanted to go there. Um, it's so about her. Yeah, he's he's dirty and she wants him to be clean. But the thing is, is the people in Hollywood, especially as re regarding the plot, they're actually dirty. They're dirty mm -hmm. in their souls. Yes. Right. And so, yes. okay. I just wanted to, I just want to make sure I, I got that because uh, I would not have, I would not have uh, initially considered uh the Rocketeer to be diesel punk, but I, but I, I, you've, you've, I, I see it now. Yeah. And there cool. is a yeah. way we could make a brand new punk appellation right now, which is this could also be <laughs> hero punk because again, it's really not the story of the rocket. It's a story of Cliff and Jenny. So it's going against 
the story application of this is why we're going to be the hero. It's going to, it, so you could almost say that it is also hero punk. And I'm not willing to die on that hill. I'm just saying. <laughs> I would be, I would, I would, I would I want them to knock that. over a bigger, uh, I want them to knock over a bigger idol uh, than, than that person. <laughs> yeah. We're going to smash idols. Let's smash it. Let's smash the Statue of Liberty. There is actually already a genre called Cape Punk, which is like the deconstructed superheroes. But for me personally, I'm kind of like, I still think that's superheroes, but yeah. sure. <laughs> I, I've only ever heard of steampunk and cyberpunk, so you're just blowing my mind every which way from Sunday. Never heard of diesel heard punk? Of oh my stuff. gosh, man. No, like, oh, no, dude, I've yeah, never yeah, heard of that. Yeah. I just thought there was steampunk and cyberpunk, and that's, you know, that's it. But <laughs> I covered eight in depth in a month long class. <laughs> <laughs> just any, anything can have a punk now. So, Allie, you know? for, for, so what were the eight? What were the eights in the genre? Oh, I did um, uh, clock punk, steampunk, diesel punk. Deco punk, um, atom punk, cyberpunk, biopunk, and solar punk. I was just curious. I just did I you say clock or cloth punk? Clock. Clock punk. Okay. Which is different from steampunk. Okay. Because it would it like like TikTok from like right. Well, because yeah, like clock, well, like clock punk would be like seventeen hundred Switzerland or something, right? Like you know, like the watchmakers. Well, Renaissance and... Da Vinci. Thank oh, that's just awesome. cuckoo. That's just a cuckoo. Come on. <laughs> okay. And all then right, Mark's wow. writing down. I'm gonna go check out all these right here. <laughs> He's making notes. Like I got reading material. Oh, I, I I always take notes in Nathan's podcast. Right. So wait, 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 wait. I think we were on Timothy Dalton. Do, do we need to circle back around? <laughs> well, I'm just all right. No, no. I'm just saying though. Does anybody have anything else to just talk about? Sort of like the historical aspects of the Rocketeer. Well, the the pulps uh, are absolutely uh, front and center in in so much of this. Uh, you know, and that's uh, that's definitely something that Joe Johnston picked up on and and transferred over into Captain America when we get there. Yep. Um, those the, those types of um, uh, seemingly simple heroics, but uh, but these sort of mechanically complex kind of situations. You know, uh, there's pieces of Doc Savage in the Rocketeer even though they couldn't use Doc Savage because Street and Smith is uh, uh, not as great a Satan as Disney, but pretty close. Uh, and uh, there's definitely some of that um, fringe science uh, stuff in Captain America as well. I mean, mm -hmm. that's all Hydra is, is fringe science and, yeah. and, and weird things like that. Um, but I think you can draw a straight line from um, the Rocketeer to Hellboy. Mm -hmm. uh when uh in in fact uh there's a one of the stories has elboy putting on a rocket that looks awful lot like the the one that cliff's wearing <laughs> um but that's that was mignola's uh rocketeer you know he hellboy is his everything i like about this stuff in one package uh and so uh uh i i think it's hard to that that was a very influential comic uh, in, in in a number of ways and it's a shame that the movie's not yeah it is a cult classic i mean it's not quite as cult a classic as uh buckaroo bonsai or or big trouble in little china uh because i think more people have seen the rocketeer uh yeah. it's been on disney for a while and you know it was in heavy rotation and, and now it's on disney plus 
and 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 they've got a new series so i know people have come back to it but uh i, I you, it's hard to argue with uh all the things that it got right and the the little thought seeds that it planted for everybody to just sort of take root so it's well, uh, i mean and, and it's funny because we're talking about how much of a failure the rocketeer was it still did 40 plus million dollars at the box office which again wasn't you know, a knockout of the park, but this is also the summer of Terminator 2, which did nearly $200 million, which was unheard of in 1991. Mm -hmm. Like that was just not a thing that happened. You know, if you broke $100 million, you were riding a payday all the way home. I mean, that's the equivalent these days of doing half a billion, you know? I mean, we're talking, that is major money, you know? So yeah, like it didn't do nearly as well as that they, they hoped it would, but the, the competition that it was going up against was just mind boggling. I mean, I, I would get, I was looking at these numbers. Terminator 2 Judgment Day did $105 million during the summer, did a total of 204. Robin Hood Prince of Thieves did $151 million. City Slickers did 112. Naked Gun two and a half did 90 million. Backdraft did 80 million. What about Bob did $63 million? Hot Shots did 55. 101 Dalmatians, the live. I'm sorry, this is the animated this re-release. Was the, this was a re-release. Yeah, that was the re-release did 55 million. Okay, I'm gonna hood? say though, it, it is. It's it's embarrassing that Hot Shots did better than The Rocketeer. I'm just I know, right? <laughs> but Boys of the Hoods did, did 49.7 million, and then The Rocketeer came in at 46.7. Uh, and then right after that is Thelma and Louise at 45. People still talk about Thelma and Louise. Hell, yeah. even after that is Point Break, freaking Swayze and Keanu at 43. But yet, for some reason, we have it in our brains that Rocketeer was a failure. And I think it's because we never got a sequel. But in actuality, it made money. It just didn't make the money Disney was hoping for. They wanted right. Terminator 2 money. Uh, right, because, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we can talk about the yeah. ending now, like, where it's just, like, they set up the sequel like the sequel oh, yeah. was there like you know yeah. like we're gonna make a new rocket we've got the schematics and you know apparently howard hughes doesn't care so much even though the nazis are still a threat and they're gonna be for years it's like eh, right. they've got the schematics but i trust them they're good guys <laughs> so, i mean he did blow up nazis over california i mean if anybody's going to get the trust of howard hughes at that point okay i think cliff c cord's legit people yeah, you know? he, proved, he proved his worth yeah totally yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but just because he's a good guy doesn't mean somebody couldn't steal it again and you know all that kind of so that's why i'm saying it just seems well, a little but you got know, a but... whole package of gum uh Nathan. <laughs> i don't even know what the problem is here make, right, a whole, make a hole in every single one and put it like right, crack security system worked before why wouldn't it work again you know seriously, seriously it's like, hold on just one second right. you know, like, seriously, wouldn't there be a great little wouldn't it be great if there was like on every rocket pack they made like a little tiny like 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 rubber nozzle on the back of it and it says pull in case of nazis and you just, <laughs> and you just, it just you pop it and there's a little hole and it just it's like just you know fine or, it's very easy you've you've been very reasonable yeah yeah just uh you know just give me a minute to get back before you uh start, start yeah, but you know honestly i think the biggest miss out of all this is they could have instantly done a a prequel to the rocketeer that focused specifically on neville sinclair and how he um undercover made Lothar a la like Frankenstein. So he could do it. It's alive. It's alive. And they could put him up and he could be lightly bolted. And then they had to run from Switzerland. And then he was like, how am I going to hide this giant seven foot tall monstrosity that I made out of sewing up people's body parts? And he goes to Hollywood. And you find out that Lothar was like, like seriously, right? Because I mean, Dalton would have made it work, but I mean, that's a really, 
out there. Like, that, like seriously, because then, like, because I always thought Lothar was supposed to be like a Bela Lugosi Frankenstein person, just not. Like oh, he that. gave me serious like Dick Tracy flashbacks. He's too, based like, on a real person. Guys. It's so Dick Tracy. He's, he's, he's yeah. based on a real person named Rondo Hatton. Uh, Rondo Hatton was an act was an actor in the forties. Uh, who developed uh, agromeglia? Is, is that the disease? oh, where the bones keep growing? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he was a stuntman, and uh, this condition came on uh, after college. Uh, he he'd done some movie work, uh, and then when this happened, uh, to make ends meet, uh, he basically got the job uh, in B uh, horror movies as the monster because he didn't need makeup. And it's really sad. I mean, it's 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 a it's it, what happened to him was kind of tragic. Uh, and uh, they, he, you know, uh, sort of unfortunate. They have since uh, named uh, a horror um, uh, a horror award after him for uh, uh, for outstanding excellence. It's called the Rondo. And um, there was a Dark Horse series uh, called The Creep. Uh, that essentially used the, his likeness as, as an invest, a private investigator in the 1940s in LA. That was or well, LA or New York, anyways. They're really good, uh, cool little noir kind of things. But 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 that's that was a, a, a supposedly an affectionate tribute to uh, Rondo. I, I I just wanted to make a Timothy Dalton Frankenstein joke. I hope they can bring it down with Rondo. <laughs> No, no, it's actually that's really cool. Um, you know, it's actually funny because you, you know you actually mentioned him. There's actually one other really famous actor, or not famous, but um, uh, another really great actor uh, who had some fame because he had the same thing happen to him, uh, and that is the titular character from the Maniac Cop series. And I don't know if you've ever watched those, but uh, it's basically um, this guy Robert Zod uh, Zadar um, essentially is playing a cop who was uh, murdered, uh, and he. Uh, comes back from the dead and he then just starts to kind of like he he's like the, the way they explain is that there's part of his brain that's still firing that's a cop but he sees everything as the crime so he's kind of like judge dread except he's a serial killer so like if you jaywalk he's going to go and murder you um and so they just had to give him like a little bit of kind of like torn up flesh makeup but his chin like kept growing and growing they did three movies and they just kept scarring it up more and more and they just used the 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 and i don't want to say deformity but the growth of the bones to actually show damage of him over time uh and from what i understand like one of the sweetest guys in the world but um really really cool way of actually using something that other people wouldn't be hired for and actually making it to a positive so he, he, he's been in a lot of b movies my favorite being yeah. hell comes to frog okay Town, guys but... we gotta we gotta we gotta table side <laughs> talk we're going really long here like Rocketeer, we're talking about the Rocketeer. <laughs> I think Hell Comes to Frogtown is is uh, Rocketeer adjacent at the yes. very least. <laughs> it is at very least an a post apocalyptic punk. Okay. Oh my Thank god. You, sir. It's okay. a punk. It's All a right. punk. It's a punk. <laughs> punk. Right. You thought I was off topic talking about Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> that was positively on done. topic. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So what are we going to talk about? So what's next? Mark? All right. So, we so we know that there's going to be a series on Disney Plus, but, you know, we have no details beyond that. What I mean, so what, you know, so what do you think about that as far as like, are you worried about it? How do you think they should handle it? Just really quick, like, you know, just just a few sentences about, you know, what you it's think gonna, about it's, it. It's going to be a girl rocketeer. And and I have no problem with that at all. 
but I'm not the target demographic and I wish them all the best. I'm just not going to be checking it out. I just don't know that that's going to be anything that interests me, but uh, I don't, I got my Rocketeer movie and I got my Rocketeer comics. I don't, so someone else can have a Rocketeer now and I'm cool with it. Okay. All right, Allie. Oh, 100%. My friend's children will watch it and then my friends will tell me whether or not I should watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. John. I'm intrigued by the idea. Um, I like generational stories and I like the idea of it being handed off to somebody else. Okay. It's going to be a girl. Cool. Is it going to be Cliff and Jenny's kid? If yes, then they better bring back Cliff and Jenny because then I will be happy and that will make all the things better. Um, if they don't, eh, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. You know, um, I do not necessarily think gender makes a character. I think good storytelling makes a character. And if they make a good mm -hmm. story, I'll show up for it. And if they make a bad story, then I will watch it and say, okay, I'm not going to watch that again and move on with my life. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, because again, it, you, the, I take the, the 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 remake of Ghostbusters they did a few years ago with all female Ghostbusters went in. I enjoyed it. it. wasn't really great. wasn't you know terrible. It certainly didn't cause me to go up in arms about anything. And I was like, but you know what? I got my original Ghostbusters still originally. I'm I'm fine. That 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 is the worst case scenario for me. I go in, I watch it. I'm not a big fan. I'm like, okay, cool. I still got my original Joe Johnston from 1991, and I'm happy. No problems. So I'm I'm good either way. I hope it's great because. Yeah. I want more Rocketeer. I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I want that helmet. I want to see, you know, somebody flying. I'm ready for it. I, you know what? We were joking about, you know, Devil Sinclair and a, and a freaking gunfight in the middle of the air. Like, I, I kind of want to see that at the same time. Like, I, I am with Mark. Like, I kind of want to see it. So give it to me if we can make it happen. I'll, I'll, I'll totally show up for it. Yeah. My one worry is that it's going to be set in modern times. And and I and I'm just worried that they're going to do that because I think that's going to kind of really ruin the movie. If it's mm. set just a little bit later, like it like it is Cliff and Jenny's kid or whatever, like it's still like 60s or something like that, I'm all for it. You know, like I'd be interested in that movie. But I do think that like making it like a modern, like, you know, like, hey, it's a kid in high school in modern times or whatever, and she's gonna have her rocket pack and she's gonna go on wacky adventures. And it's like, yeah, that's not. It's not for me. I, I think so much of my love for this story and the fact that it's a rocket just lends itself to the idea of when rockets were cool, right? Mm -hmm. Which right. which yeah. does follow an arc through the 60s, right? We're still going with the space yeah, yeah, race yeah. and everything in the 60s. So if they just move it forward, it's like, say, the 60s. I think there's still a lot of relevance to this if, whole rocket. If they if they get if they can get us into the atomic age, if, if, if it's atomic <sighs> age, female rocketeer, I take it all back. I'll watch every second of that. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> right? Like, just put me like in 1955, right? Yeah. Where, like, like we're yeah. like you know we're like atomic sci-fi is really starting to take yes. off and whatnot and we're in the middle of the cold war and like then like the daughter mm -hmm. of cliff and jenny gets sucked in because they realize oh the rocket's still around and they they want her to infiltrate some i mean come on that yeah, would yeah, be yeah, like, yeah the soviets <laughs> want the rocket pack just like the nazis did yeah, like you know like, i would totally yeah. show up for that Soviet yeah, rockets. I, hell yes i mean yeah. to bring it back to captain america again like even in the comics they did this the russians had their own red skull who was oh, different from the original Original Nazi Red Skull, you know, it's like <laughs> what was he, Comrade One? Wasn't that his name? The Red Skull. Oh, I, I forget. Like, like he I was forget, called yeah. the Red Skull at one point, but then it was like you know, yeah. and then they revealed like, oh, he wasn't actually really just like the Captain America of the fifties right, right. wasn't the actual Captain America. Mm -hmm. You know, they retconned all of that, but at the time, it was, it was supposed thing, yeah. to be like the Red Skull and Captain America. But anyway, 
anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm there. I'm there for it. I'm ready. But yeah, I want it to be historical. If they, if it's a modern thing, I do not think it's going to be good. I, I, I would be very worried about it. You but. know, the only way that that could work is if, and go with me for a second. What if great granddaughter of Cliff and Jenny, right, okay. inherits the farm from her mom? Mom just passed. There's like a journal, and they actually do this thing where they flash back to like adventures of Cliff and Jenny through like the 40s and the 50s. And she's like, oh, my God. And then, like, she's dealing with the fact that I actually found this rocket. Like, you could, there, there are a lot of ways that they could do it in the modern times and, and still make it work. Um, you and know, then the great-grandson of Neville Sinclair shows up. And the <laughs> illegitimate son. Yeah, it's always the illegitimate son that shows back up, you know, generations later. But, yeah, I mean, you could make that work, you know? And, and But he's a white supremacist now. Oh, right, you know, he wants he, to steal the rocket from her, yeah. Right, I mean, you could, you, you could do it. You could make it work. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think there's always a possibility, which, again, that's why for me, it comes down to is the story good? Is the well, story it's just fun? like it's just like there was the big unknown. Again, I'm going to bring up Captain America. I guess it's more relevant than I thought, Allie, that before Captain America came out in 2011, everyone was worried. And in fact, they've even said that one of the ideas that was thrown around when they were writing it was he's going to be like uh, like they're going to take out the historical element and Captain America is going to be like a Gulf War you know, like, or an Afghan war vet, you know, like, and, and make it like modern time. Like Captain America comes from modern times, not from the past. Right. And I think that would have ruined Captain America too. I think there's so much about the character that's intrinsic to the historical aspect of it that I think that needs to be there. I think it's the same thing with the Rocketeer. I'm not Plus, even sure, like you never... keep bringing up Cliff and Jenny. It might be a complete reboot, Sean. There might not even be a Cliff and Jenny as part of the story. So and that's even better because that means Jenny gets to be the Rocketeer because then like her boyfriend, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I mean, wait, wait, Mark, if I remember correctly, did at one point she put on the she put on the costume yeah that was later in the in the comics uh yeah. jenny got uh jenny got to uh do her thing yeah. uh again no no uh issues with that you know uh, yeah. at all i just i think that character works best in um in, within the the rubric of uh of the mid-century uh sort of aesthetic i i don't yeah. think that you yeah um, i agree yeah there's a there's a point at which um our our space age uh pop culture technology mm-hmm. um uh suspension of disbelief outstrips the notion of a rocket pack being anything uh significant mm-hmm. so Wow, that sounded a lot. That sounded really heavy, didn't it? Good God! I think it's really hard to do a modern Rocketeer without making comparisons to Iron Man. You know, it's just it's so ingrained in our culture right now that I think it's basically impossible to have it without saying, "Well, Iron Man did blah blah blah," and then you need like the heads-up display, and you're you know everything has to be have some sort of virtual wi-fi interface kind of stuff you know it gets further and further away from the mechanical aspects which truly make it rocketeer did you ever watch the, the new adventures of johnny quest the the whenever they they rebooted johnny quest uh in the uh late 80s when they were still doing saturday mm-hmm. morning cartoons and it was it was cyberpunk johnny quest and it was pointless because johnny yeah. quest only works in a in a cold war 60s spy uh realm you know uh 
I, I just had like, like you guys just gave me like the greatest idea of how they could actually make this work, which is use the expectation of it has to be Iron Man. It has to be super tech against it. Uh, mm -hmm. Go with me for a second. We all know that certain organizations and governments out there have done cyber ops on other countries to screw with certain things that work inside of our government. Macro that. Some kind of, again, Neville Sinclair's great-great-grandson, blah, 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 white supremacist group. They start taking over everybody's defense systems. Only a super retro Luddite runs on alcohol, not hooked up to anything, could actually help turn the tide of a war. Now that would be baller because everybody else <laughs> is using drones and stuff. And here comes this thing that they can't track because it doesn't have a heat signature because we've established that it's cold, even though it oh, runs yeah, yep. at 100 million RPMs, right? She can blitz through it. That's how you do it if you bring it modern. That's how you do it is like, it's this okay. old piece of tech. I'm just saying mm, that could work. Okay. However, I still prefer 1955. Like, oh yeah, uh, no, I, that's that. Yeah, that, yeah. Dude, that's the best because I mean, like, yeah, you got this yeah. whole nice run from like the mid '30s to the mid '60s where the Rocketeer works, and I right. think once you go beyond those, and bounds, works perfectly. Like, yeah, plus you can bring back the original actors. You can bring back everybody who's yeah. still alive. No, I, mean, I, I love the idea of making it the daughter of Cliff and Jenny. I think that that would be right. great if they could get that. Now, Jennifer Connelly's rate may be a little hard for the. I mean, it's Disney, but I'm just dude, saying it's like, Disney money, I man. Mean, come on, yeah. no one's going to turn out that Disney I mean, money. Yeah, Bill but, Campbell would do it for a for a case of right now. He's not going to be difficult, but yeah, no, he'd throw him some beanie. Uh, oh, that was me, man. I, I, I was I was being nice what? and not. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I did not I mean, mean to offend. If Billy, you're, you're if, you're, if you're watching, uh, if you're listening to the podcast. Big fan, love you lots. Uh, please, Honest to God, uh, get well soon. I, I think Billy Campbell is one of the most underused actors of that era. I think that oh, yeah. for some reason he never caught fire the way I hoped he would. And you know, mm -hmm. every time I see him and stuff, like one of my favorite roles he took since The Rocketeer was when he did the Forty Four Hundred, where he was the sleazy used car salesman or snake oil salesman. Um, and the whole point of that is 4,400 people over the span of about a century have vanished in America, and then they're all brought back on the same day, and they haven't aged a day. And so he believes that it's a spiritual thing, and that these 4,400 people are actually meant for great things to change humanity. So he makes a church, and so he finally finds a product that works. And the whole show, you're trying to figure out, is Billy Connolly selling you snake oil, or does he really believe this? If you've never seen it, it's amazing. I, I oh, he's such a great actor, but man, just just, just get Billy Campbell and Jennifer Connelly and uh, and, and just, just bring everybody back. Just bring them all back, man. Like Alan Arkin, he's like ninety-seven years old. He'll do it. I don't care. Like, <laughs> all right, like, all right. We we've got to wrap things up, guys. Though we've we've been going long on this one, but um, I think we all want to see good things from the Rocketeer like franchise, um, and. Uh, you know, we kind of range a little bit in our expectations and how that'll be for the Disney Plus show, but uh, we're all hoping that they get it right. So um, I think that's the I'm best not. I, I'm not holding my breath. But again, <laughs> I I got no horse in that race. I'm happy with well, what I've got. Thank you. Well, well, Nathan, if I can give you a final thought. Okay. And this is this is the highest praise I can give the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer was the first movie that made me feel joy on a level that I can never explain to somebody else because it was an experience I had with my father. It was an experience I had at a certain time in my life. It was a movie that I felt absolutely resonated with me. 
and nothing about it disappoints me. And it still doesn't disappoint me 25, you know, you know 30 years later. Um, there've only been three movies since then that have done that. And I'm going to name drop them right now. First one, and we'll, we'll, we'll do this more or less in chronological order, uh, would be The Mask of Zorro. Okay. Love The Mask of Zorro. It, That's another one I need vibes. to do a podcast on. Well, beautiful. Um, f- far more recently, John Carter. Mm-hmm. Oh God, and that's another one I need to do a podcast on. I adore <laughs> that movie. And I remember walking out of that movie and I said, I have not felt this way since The Rocketeer. Like that, like I still preach the choir of John Carter. The only mistake of that movie was that they didn't call it Princess of Mars. Flat out, that's the only one. Um, and then the most recent would be Tomorrowland with George Clooney. Hmm. Um, those are the four movies that I can watch them and they crush me with happiness and 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 uh, a type of joy like we all know one day our parents are going to pass and when they do those will be the four movies i watch that will remind me of my dad even though only one of them i ever saw with him mm. and that would be the rocketeer but mm-hmm. those uh, three other movies spark that same joy in my brain um and actually i need to sit him down and make him watch all four movies with me and he'll bitch about it the whole time um but I- i'm telling you guys it just the rocketeer if you've never seen it, we've spoiled the hell out of it, but go watch it anyway. It's so good. Yeah. Well, you name two other movies that are on my list, like, like that also like do for me what this movie does, which is Mask of Zorro and uh, John Carter. So oh. yeah, I love those movies. So yes, I, I understand. I understand. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, we got to wrap things out now, guys. So Bye. <laughs> let's say our goodbyes and let people know where they can find you. Um, so let's start with you on this one, Sean. Uh, you can find me at DragonCon. Other than that, my wife and I are taking the year off for the most part. So you really can't find us anywhere. You can't find us on social media, though, uh, at Pop Cycle Bobbles. And uh, me personally, you can find at Numa Z. That's P-N-E-U-M-A-Z. And uh, jumping around on a bunch of podcasts over here with uh, Mr. Nathan and the 42 cast, also with the American Sci-Fi Classics and uh, some other projects. So, you know, just go follow me around. And whenever I get tagged, I try to retweet and and and, and signal boost and say, hey, I did a thing. So come say hey. And uh, uh, if you are at DragonCon, come by our booth and, and check out our merch and say, hey, we'd love to see you. All right. And Allie, thank you so much for being long suffering during this podcast <laughs> as we were all talking loudly and, and boisterously and you were waiting to have the informed opinion. Um, you guys really love Tim Lee Dalton is what I've learned. <laughs> oh, come and on. Jennifer Connelly and Billy part. Campbell. Oh, sorry. And Jennifer Connelly. Right. But I mean, right, who right. doesn't? Seriously. All right. Why don't you say goodbye <laughs> and let people know where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as selfwinding because I am a steampunk. Uh, you can also, my uh, website is alliemartin.com. Uh, I do, I'm a writer. I write sci-fi, fantasy kind of stuff, alt history. Uh, and I'm also a freelance editor. So if you happen to be a writer and need some help, you can find me there. Uh, I also have a Patreon that you can find from there where I offer editorial services. Uh, and soon... I will have a podcast called Story Kernels, and you can find us at storykernels.com. All right. And Mark, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Um, I've got a blog uh, that I have uh, relaunched, uh, the North Texas Apocalypse Bunker.com. Uh, and uh, you can uh, go there and look at pictures from Greece and uh, some other stuff. Uh, also, the weekly uh, update from the North Texas Apocalypse Bunker is on Substack, and it's free. Uh, you can go to Substack slash uh, NTAB and uh, subscribe, 
And my Patreon is uh, North Texas Apocalypse Bunker at Patreon as well. And I'm doing five, uh, five E stuff and uh, some, some zines and mini comic stuff. I'm uh, putting up five E content uh, every week now. So uh, that's me. That's where I am. Oh, and, and yeah, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, Mark, Ali, Sean, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Thank it you. was our pleasure. Yes. <laughs> and that's a wrap on our Rocketeer episode. We hope that you liked it and you can let us know in a variety of different ways. One way is by emailing us at everything at 42 cast.com. Another way is to go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42 cast or going to our website at 42 cast.com. You can also tweet to us or go on our Instagram at 42 cast and leave us feedback there. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple podcasts with Apple podcasts. The more reviews that we get, the higher we'll show up in searches and the more we'll get promoted. So we'd definitely appreciate if you would leave us a review there. If you have an account, I also want to let you know about the ESO network, Patreon. That's a way that you can help all the shows on the network. You can go to patreon.com slash ESO network. You can look at the different tiers. You can see. Do you have the money for the tier that you want? You can get exclusive episodes, early episodes, a whole exclusive podcast for one tier. So you can check that out. And we would definitely appreciate if you have the funds, if you would help us out with that. I also want to let you know about the two other podcasts that I'm in. One is Legendary Forces, where my friends Juliet, Ashley, Joe, and Corey and I are going through all of Star Wars fictional media from the beginning. We're talking about whether or not it's quality. We talk about the evolving idea of Star Wars from the beginning as the various spin-off media go forward. So if that sounds interesting for you, check that out. I'm also on time streams where just Juliet and I are going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. Now that's just the TV series, and we're going through it. We explain everything about the episodes. So you don't have to purchase the episodes to follow along with us. So if you just want to hear our banter, that's fine, but you'll definitely get more out of it if you are also watching the stories with us. And you can do that by going to time streams. In con news, it's still the same story. I'm going to Fan Expo uh, in July. So not too far after this goes out. And I will be going to Chicago TARDIS in November. And that's pretty much it for me with cons. I'll let you know if something else comes up. But I really don't see anything else luring me away. Unless C2E2 just suddenly announces someone that I'm just like, Oh my god, I have to drop everything and go see this which I don't expect to happen. So I'll let you know <laughs> if, if that happens or if some other con that I don't know about pops up. But otherwise, those are the two places that you can find me. So that's a wrap for this week. Join us back next week when William Hartnell will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021 got a question for the ultimate answer contact us at everything at 42 cast.com theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com the 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping at the T Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.